Hey, and welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I still want to say the Pioneer Podcast sometimes, Ross. I, I still just, in my head, say Pioneer Podcast, and then you say MTG Rants, and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what it is? If you listen to me, I don't move th- as smoothly through it as I normally do. There's that, like, half second of uh, hesitation, you know, because, like, yeah. muscle memory starts to take over. <laughs> Got to retrain retrain your brain, Tannen, and, that, and that's hard to do at our age. Uh, yeah. You can't, what is it? You can't teach an old dog new tricks? Yeah, we're we're stuck in our ways. I'm a very old dog. I, I actually, I complained today on Versus about how, uh, you know, when I was in my 20s, you know, in, in my prime, all the cards were really simple, right? They yeah. stripped down design. And now that I'm in my 30s, every card has a mountain of text on it. So I'm yeah. constantly like forgetting small things like, oh, this one can target my stuff, but this other, this other removal spell can't. And like, you know, the, this one I, says other, this one doesn't. Like, yeah. yeah, I spent like six months putting the cards from Fertile Footsteps, the lands from Fertile Footsteps onto the battlefield tapped, just assuming that they did. It's like, no, they're untapped. Just stuff like that. But, you know, we we make do. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, I joke about it. It's like we're going the way of uh, flavor text not being on magic cards anymore <laughs> at some point in time, just because there won't be enough room anymore. It'll be like, um, what is it? Uh, Hearthstone. In Hearthstone, cards have flavor text, but only when you see them in, like, the digital way. Like, you put your cursor over it while it's in your collection, and, like, a flavor text thing pops up. It's never... Because they can't fit enough on, you yeah. know, in the space of the cards and stuff, so... Weird. It all the, way. the world is changing, Tannen, and I don't like it. I don't like change. I fear change. <laughs> you know, okay. so, so, no, I, I get that. stay exactly the same. But Been up to anything fun? Um, no, Tannen, there's a pandemic. Yeah, I know, that was... Uh, you can't yeah. see my... I know everybody at home can't see my face. I had that... You know that look on my face when you ask someone a question that you know is like you know the answer to. You know you're like, you know like all right, well, uh, I guess I'll ask this question to keep the conversation going. But it's one of those things like actually, you know, I did all this, and you're like, what? What? That <laughs> said, the Jazz did win their last two games. Uh, yeah. And over the course of them, they trailed for a total of 96 seconds. Is that good? Oh, of 96 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Is that good? <laughs> Might have been 94 seconds against Milwaukee. So two good wins for Utah. I'm feeling good. We are recording this on a Tuesday evening. The Jazz are playing uh, in Cleveland tonight. Cleveland is going to be missing about seven players. Yeah, so they'll have like uh, uh, AAU AAU yeah. team, which means I'm incredibly worried. Oh yeah, You're, yeah. <laughs> you know that that's the classic trap game. So uh, ho- hopefully they they get it going. Andre Drummond has been awesome this year so far. Uh, and historically, Gobert has dominated him in their matchup. So if, if Drummond plays and he's questionable, he and can have a good game against Gobert, then maybe they got a shot. But uh, I'm looking for the Jazz. They got two more games on this road trip. They're playing Cleveland tonight and the Wizards tomorrow. The Wizards are also missing players because Thomas Bryant just went down with a season-ending injury. Yeah, he blew um, me out. Yeah, which is important for that matchup because Thomas Bryant is a stretch uh, five, so he pulls Rudy Gobert out of the paint. Westbrook's out for like a week or something. Yeah, but that just benefits them. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) They're 2-2 without him in the lineup. They're 1-6 with him. It just matters how... It's funny that we've come to this. It just matters how much Beal goes off now. Because he is actually like... I I don't know if you could have thought of this coming into the season, but he's actually stepped his game up a full step this year, which is hard to believe from a guy that was like putting up the point totals that he was last year. But I mean, like... You know, if they were a decent enough team, you'd be talking like MVP talks coming this year because he's going to average like 36 points a game. He's really, really good. He's yeah. he. His name has been in uh, not any like serious trade rumors. He's more like in the fan trade rumors, like yeah. the wishful thinking, because he's a guy that you know is on a bad team, and you're like, yeah, they should just you know trade him and rebuild or whatever. That's not really how teams operate. Um, but you know, 
you never really know. Eventually, like, the relationship can sour. Like, players will only lose for so long. So if he gets disgruntled and demands a trade, he would be a hot commodity in, in a couple months. So we'll see how that goes. But so far, so good on the Jazz season. And that's basically what I do. I watch the Jazz play. I drink some beer. I play some Magic. You know, I really get that. Like, uh, the pandemic was a lot easier for me uh, to stomach day to day when baseball's around because there's just a game every day. You know, and I would just like, I, I could work my way, I could work my day around that three hour gap. And like, you know, people heard me talk about it in the past, you know, and like, the, you know, I watched, I watched every game during the pandemic and the pussies. I watched every game that the Braves played. People were like, oh my God, you watched every game? I'm like, yeah, it was actually very simple. I don't leave my house, you know, like, yeah. I'm following all the rules I'm supposed to be following right now. And they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, well, I did it the year before too. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot more. It's like, you know, it's like very easy kind of stuff, but. Yeah, yeah it, like it just makes it easier when you have like that thing every day. Now, like I, you know, I picked reading back up. I'm like burning through TV shows because, like, here's the thing too. Like when I'm when I'm working right now, like I, I quit my job, so like I'm just doing poker for right now on the side until I find something else to do. And, and while I'm doing that, like you know, it's it's a little bit less. It's more and less consuming of you at times. Like I can have TV on in the background. You know, with my old job, I could do that too. So I, I just have some TV show running, you know, that I'm running through, or whatever. You know, there's there's some of them that I I will. I, this is the only thing I'm gonna do when I'm watching this show, is watch the show because I want to pay attention. You know, it's like a really good show. Like I'm about to delve into Cobra Kai because I keep hearing how good it is. I was literally is. about to ask you about yeah. it. I have you not seen episode, any of it at all? I watched the first episode and I was like, I have to watch this when I like actively can. You know, I'm into the mood yeah, of... The first two episodes of season one, you 100% want to pay attention because that sets a lot of the stage, basically yeah. for everything. And I'm the kind of person, I'm, I am I, I don't talk during movies. You know what I mean? Like, I might joke with you or say something, especially if, like, you know, I remember, like, the, I think the last movie I saw in theaters, me and Brian Basoka went and watched the Godzilla movie because, like, I want to see it on the big screen and, like, you know, we snuck in a flask and, like, you know, it spiked our drinks and we're, like, you know, we we're, like, the only people at the theater, so we were, it's, like, the mystery science, you know, we're, like, oh, shit! You know, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. you know whatever. And uh, we were, like, having, you know, because we knew that going in, that was fun. But, like, if we're watching, like, a Marvel movie or some kind of good movie and you talk to me during a movie, friendship fucking over. You know what I mean? Like, don't sit next to me. I don't know you. Like, don't talk to me. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same way. If I'm, you know, taking my time and spending my money to go to a movie theater to see something and it's something I want to see, like, I want to actually see it. You know, we can talk all you want after the movie's over, you know. And I will talk about it after the movie's oh, yeah. over for as long as you want. <laughs> I love but that shit. Co Cobra Kai is, is really good. Um, yeah, and I'm one of the people, I like to watch, like, a lot of episodes at once. You know what I mean? I oh, I'm the like, same way. I, I watch yeah, season three in like one day. I episode and stop. Yeah, I don't like to watch. That's that's where they are, right? It's yeah. They, they just released season three, but it's I heard like, that you know, they're it's, moving up season four. By the way, so you might get new episodes sooner. Than you there expect. was a pretty big gap between two and three, so I wouldn't be surprised if like you know they had already started four in production and, and whatever. Sure, I, I uh, the money's hot. Like every yeah, yeah. every major streaming service right now is going ham. I don't know if you've seen this, but like Disney, like already because they they kind of they moved some stuff back. They have a new show like every week for the rest of the year, pretty much. Like after I think I think the fifteenth, what's called WandaVision starts. It's like a their first Marvel TV show. Okay. And then if you look at the like how everything is supposed to be released this year, when that show ends, because they're doing the one weekend one episode a week thing, when that show ends, like the next week a new one starts and then a new one and then a new one, and then like the movies come in in between like fill a gap of like maybe a week. So like you're almost never going an extended period of time without some new thing. And that just makes sense to me too, because like, here's the thing. 
you know, I've had a subscription to them since day one, but I'm like, you know, now that Mandalorian's done and I'm not watching anything new, like, wh why do I have a subscription? I could just wait till I need to watch something and just turn my subscription back on, right? And just get that $9.99 a month or whatever back. But now it's like, there's no reason to ever turn this off because there's something new every week that I want to see. Yeah, I know. I, I was definitely thinking about getting rid of my Netflix subscription and basically just renewing it to watch Cobra Kai. That's about all I watch there. I, I'm mainly on Hulu, and I like that with Hulu I get Spotify Premium, so I just don't get yeah. ads. I, I just started watching a show on Hulu. Um, there's another, you know, I watch Letterkenny, obviously pretty religiously. So you know, like twice a year, Hulu has the new because they put out uh, two you, about two seasons a year because it's a very easy show for them to do. Okay, so it's like I it's have no idea a what Letterkenny is. Uh, you should definitely watch it. You would. It, it, have you ever heard me make the reference to? Uh, I'm always like, um, what is the one? Um, to be fair, to be fair, whatever I do that. I'm sure you've heard Cedric do it too. I a, don't recall that at it's all. It's a Letterkenny reference. All right, it's it's about a small town group of guys and girls in um, Letterkenny, Canada, and it's just like where in Canada every, is that? Uh, it's like above New York, if I remember right. There is an actual an, an actual place called Letterkenny. Okay. I remember checking it out. I don't know if that's where they film it or whatever, but like it's just a, it's just a bunch above of New York is in Montreal. You know what I mean? Like that just direction. enough to get into That's, Ontario. I mean, I mean, on the on the east side. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like east side of Canada. But like, there's I a did... pretty big difference between Ontario and Montreal. Um. So is is it on the I think west side? Near, of, uh, I think they're near or, Quebec. And Quebec. Honestly. I said Montreal. I meant Quebec. Ontario. I think they're and, near Quebec. Yeah. And Quebec. So like, if they're in if they're in Quebec now, like you've got the whole Frenchiness. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot like they they joke about that. Like they have some in some seasons they they go to Quebec a lot and like they interact with some French people and they're generally like at odds with them. And stuff, and it, the show is just like yeah. The, the French Canadians don't like the British Canadians. It's like a it's like a Canadian Seinfeld that's been actually trying to funny. secede. Yeah, it's like a Canadian Seinfeld that's actually funny with these yeah. with these guys. And I don't know, it's just it's just good. It's well written. It's well done. A lot of inside jokes. So like, the more you watch the show, the funnier it becomes. Kind of thing. It's just really good. But um, I think where I was going with that is like the same thing of Netflix. I was thinking about you know get reading Netflix. I'm like, man, I just rewatch the same stuff, and now I'm hooked because I recently binged through all of Lucifer, and they have like. The other half of the season is, is like they've they've already finished filming it, and they're just I think they had to finish the finale because the finale was really expensive. Apparently, it was like the most expensive episode they've ever done. So I'm expecting some crazy shit, and they're just waiting to like because they have the next season that they're filming already, but they didn't do the finale until they did the next season. Does that make sense? They're like they started with the last episode, and they moved in. A lot of a lot of shows do that. They either do the first or last episode of the seasons while they're still there, so it's easier for them to transition into like new storylines and stuff. So very common thing so like now i'm like well i don't even know when it's coming out so like whatever i'll just leave my netflix account also my wife uses it so whatever like she watched the new selena show or whatever the day, which apparently was awful like awful awful that sucks so. also like apparently the uh the wardrobe people did a really bad job like the wigs were really bad and like the, what people were like you know what i mean it was just it was just bad all around you yeah. know kind of thing so I, w I was hopeful that that would be good that was something yep. that like i had in the back of my head but now I'm not going to watch it. Good. My you wife and her family being from Ecuador, obviously huge Selena fans and love yeah. that stuff. So, uh, like she loves that woman. We used to watch the, uh, the biopic they did with Jennifer Lopez, uh, in like Spanish class in high school, just religiously. Like mm -hmm. if they, like anytime you watched a, a movie in my I've high school, that. it was either, it, if it was a non-Spanish class, you either watched Remember the Titans or Stand and Deliver. And if you were in Spanish, you watched a Selena. Every time we watched, um, they actually let us watch this. So they fast forwarded through. We watched, um, God, what was the Holocaust movie? Um, Schindler's List. Well, Schindler's List. I couldn't remember which one it was. We watched Schindler's List, and then they sort of. I remember this is one of the, the the big like the most shocking memories I have from from grade school. I remember we I think we watched that like either really late grade school or like early high school. 
But I remember we had somebody come to talk to us once and they, you know, they got all of us in, you know, for our grade because we were doing, uh, like we were studying that, that year, you know, we were like studying the Holocaust or whatever. And some guy came to talk to us and what they didn't know. And I think most people around me didn't even realize because they weren't listening to the guy. And I was, is that the guy they hired, they didn't know was actually one of the people who doesn't believe that the Holocaust happened. And so he just starts talking to us and then halfway through just like goes into that. And the teacher's like immediately like, hey, like stop, like, whoa, like chill or whatever. And so like, we're a bunch of like, you know, sixth graders. And this dude's like, yeah, you've been taught wrong the whole time. This has never happened. He's like denouncing the Holocaust the whole time. And like, they had to like usher the dude out of the room and shit. And like, it was kind of crazy that like happened. Y'all should see Ross's face right now. <laughs> How do you fucking do that? How do you accidentally hire a Holocaust well, denier? I think he was posing as someone else so he could get in to like talk about that kind of thing and then be like, well, here's what really happened kind of stuff. You know, like. Wow. Like some real some real living in the basement with foil around the windows type person. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, the people who like, you know, they magnify it and they romanticize it on TV when you see that kind of person. But like legitimately like that guy that's like you know, trolling for that kind of stuff. So, and I was like that. I remember just being like, wow, that happened. You know, I didn't, I, I wasn't ready for that kind of thing, you know, because I was actually listening to what the guy was saying for some reason. Usually I was, I was the kind of student I wouldn't pay attention to that kind of shit. But I was like, what else am I going to do? I'm sitting in this room surrounded by a bunch of people. Might as well listen to what this dude's saying. And then, you know, you, I could kind of like see what was coming. You know, you could kind of like tell what he, the way you say it. I was like, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. You know, I started looking around and like everybody else is kind of slack-faced and like, you know, their, their eyes aren't really focused. And I see what I saw one of the teachers, like, look, you know, the look, you know what I'm talking about? They give him the look. They're like, what's this motherfucker talking about? You know, like, you know, like, you're like wait a minute. And then, and then all the eyes got real big, real fast, you know? And so they're like, all right, get out or whatever. So, oh yeah. Wow. Crazy story from my childhood. There you go. Dude, we got to, we, our, our controversial thing was when the English teacher had us watch a version of the Odyssey because we were reading it that had boobs in it and you're getting Holocaust deniers over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, I was gonna say because like that's why we fast forward Schindler's List. There's a, there's a sex scene or whatever because I went to a private schools my whole. Life. Oh yeah, you can watch Schindler's List, but the sex scene that that no, we can't a... can't let you get corrupted. Oh, I, dude, I had this religion teacher, and yes, I said religion teacher because we had a class religion all the way through my life. Which don't get me started on why I have problems with that, but uh, like you know why that shouldn't be a course that we're learning unless it's anyway whatever blah blah blah. See, we we had a course that was called religion, but it was literally just. All about different world religions, so you ours got to know not. about them. Uh, and, ours was, you know, ours was not. <laughs> I, I remember it was just us reading the Bible a lot, and every now and then we'd learn a little bit about Judaism or whatever. You know, whatever. One of the assignments was to attend a service of a faith that you were not a part of and report yeah, back on it. So exactly. it was nice and um, cosmopolitan, back up in heathen Connecticut. I just remember one of the classes that I thought was the most ridiculous thing ever is we had this we had this teacher that was obviously like the most the biggest prude of all time, right? And she's like the super young teacher. She was from Notre Dame. Uh, she like went to school there. She came down to teach teach at our school. And um, they had some program where they would send their their you know teachers for like so they get their teaching credits. They would like come to our school or something. Anyway, uh, we had I remember we had an entire class where we broke down the lyrics of a uh, God. What was the name of that band? Um, you know this song, "You and Me, Baby, Ain't Another Bloodhound Gang." Mammals, so we're gonna... yeah, the Bloodhound Gang. We 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 dissected the lyrics of that song and she's like, see how sexually driven this is and blah, blah, blah. Like, this is why this is horrible. This is bad. And that was the whole class. We just like dissected these lyrics. And I was like, this is so awkward and weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is so strange. Like, why are we doing this? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's interesting. Like the differences in educations people get, depending on where they are and what their school does. Cause you're like, yeah, we like would study this or like, we would do this. And you're like, 
my school would never have allowed that. Or, you know, that that's <laughs> yeah. not a thing that would have ever happened. We got to learn about evolution. Oh, we did not. That was not a thing. That was not a thing in my in my schools whatsoever. We did not ever discuss evolution, which is hilarious because I would go from religion class to like biology. Like the next, and evolution is literally the basis of biology. Yeah, I, I had biology in high school, but then we weren't allowed to talk about that. And so it's it's like one of the funny things, and we're not going to go into this, but you know, with what happened at the Capitol last week and stuff, I was, I was like making jokes about this, and I was like, I wonder what they're going to do with the textbooks, like the schools that I went to about this, like how they're going to, because they're probably, I mean, Texas probably just won't even have it in the damn book, you know, <laughs> like you know, so. I won't even get the textbooks for another twenty years anyway. Yeah, I would say the textbooks are always infinitely old anyway. They, you know, they talk about they talk about uh, the civil rights movement as you know a problem in the future. You know, in some yeah. of these in some of these issues and that I, you get. I don't know if if this was the your experience, but every history class I took, you like if it was supposed to cover you know from some time in the past to, to up until the present, you basically got until about fifty years ago and then stopped. Like for some real, like any American history class, we would get to like World War II, maybe into the into the beginnings of the Cold War and McCarthyism, and that would be the end of the year. Like we never, they never budgeted enough time to actually get you know somewhat close to yeah. recent times. But you had plenty of time to talk about the fucking War of eighteen twelve. Yeah, I remember um, my high school history is one of my favorite courses. By the way, I actually have a history minor, Same. and um, yeah, let's say one of my uh, one of my fa- one of my favorite uh, courses I remember in high school. Uh, we had a way to do like a book report type thing where not an actual book report, but like, you know, we had to go up in front of class and talk about something. He took the lyrics of, um, what's the name? We didn't start the fire. Is that the actual name of the song? If we didn't start the fire and each person got a lyric and you had to report on like what the lyric was. And I, this was not my type of music. I had never like really listened to the song and heard it obviously or whatever. And I got you too. So, and I want everybody to understand that I went to high school in the late nineties and early two thousands. So the internet is not what it was then is not what it is today. And so I go home and just Google U2 and report on the first thing that pops up. So I'm in, the, in class talking about Bono and his like, how, how he's a great activist and like, you know, like devotes all his time, like blah, blah, blah. And so the teacher waits till I'm finished with the whole thing. And he's like, yeah, it was a great report, but we met U2 the spy plane. And I was like, oh. So I just like did a report completely on the, on the wrong thing. And uh, yeah, that was embarrassing and funny, but... Nice. <laughs> I can see you like in your back of your mind being like, "You two, that's not the U two that he was talking about." Like, <laughs> that's not. Wait a minute. <laughs> Where's this going? <laughs> I like how they, how he let you do the entire thing too. I still got an A on it, obviously, because like I did the work and like you know like blah blah blah. It didn't matter. And I was like, oh well, should I should I should I do this again or? <laughs> like, that's that's great. Do you think we should talk about magic? <laughs> no, I think we should just talk about embarrassing stories from high school. Um, I've got some really good ones. One of like one or two we cannot talk about in there. Yeah. So if you want no. me to tell you after the after episode, maybe we'll do it in the patron only episode if we do. Oh yeah, episode. that might have, that'll be a good one. Because one of them's one of them's real bad for somebody. You know what I mean? So yeah. So uh, we can get into some magic here. Were you were you in high school when nine eleven happened, or were you in eighth grade? I was in eighth grade. Yeah, I, was say, I thought you were in eighth because I was in high school. So yeah, my uh, they actually. So they didn't tell us about it because obviously, you know, it happens at like nine, ten in the morning, right? We were watching it like we like when the first one hit, they immediately brought in TVs for us. We did. We didn't. Uh, at least I personally and like the school didn't change. Like I didn't hear anything about it until the afternoon. And they set up a, a you know, school wide assembly. And our yeah, our auditorium was not big enough to hold literally the entire school. So they broke us down into, you know, 
sections, sections and clusters yeah. and whatever. But we were in a, like the entire the entire eighth grade was in one expanded classroom. We had classrooms with like uh, collapsible walls or whatever. So they you know collapse them down, make one big room, bring the entire eighth grade in, into one room. You know seventh was in their room, sixth in theirs, and our it was our Spanish teacher actually who comes in and reads a prepared statement. You know, she just like got it, you know, piece of paper, reads it out. And when she first read it out, I actually thought this was like some sort of prompt. Like I thought she, I thought it was just a story that we were like doing something with. And then, and it took like, you know, two minutes for it to set in like, oh shit, this is happening. And then I realized that this was a lot more serious for other people than it was for me. Because we're like, you know, under 200 miles, we're, we're about. Yeah, because you're close. I'm super far yeah, away. We're, yeah. we're under 150 miles from, you know, from New York, where I grew up in Connecticut. Yeah, you, like, could have seen the plane go by. Like, <laughs> like, we, I, I, I'm pretty sure, like, people in the school had relatives that, that died yeah. there, that worked in, in the yeah. World Trade Center. I think there was a handful. That's so, kind like, of like where, you know, yeah, the or like, came you know, from. relatives that worked in New York and they hadn't heard from them, weren't sure about it. So, right. like, they can't, we had two, I remember we had two periods left in the day. And those got canceled. Everybody was instructed to go to your sixth period classroom. And we were just going to, you know, sit there and, and talk about it for the rest of the day and, and then leave. And I remember being upset because I had gym seventh period that day. So I didn't get to have gym. Yeah. Uh, that, that was the extent to which, like, I was at all connected to the World Trade Center buildings. Thanks, Obama. Mm. Mm. And, uh, you know, this was... Oh. Please, this is 2001. Nobody even knew who Obama was. That's a joke. Anyway, that's it's a that's a very meta joke with what's going on now. But anyway, but that yeah. So I had a very weird yeah, experience on on 9/11 because like they did, literally didn't tell us until like 1:30 in the afternoon. Oh, we we heard about it like immediately. Like um, I still remember this because we had, we had a sister at my school, so we had like a really old nun, you know, like at our school or whatever, and she came over the intercom system and started talking about it in like her really, you know, um, today students, you know. Um, some plain, you know, it's like she talked like that. It was like really Nasal-y choppy and, and slow, and yeah, it was the kind of you, you know she was mad that she couldn't hit students of rulers anymore, like that that kind of yeah. that kind of nun. Because I'm sure she did that in the 50s or whatever when she first started teaching, or whatever, because she you know, she was ancient. But um, anyway, <laughs> man, we we tainted quite a bit. Let's go ahead and talk about some more of these spoilers. I'm actually uh, pretty excited about this episode. The last episode was really sweet. I really like this set. I like the way it looks, and uh, we've had quite a bit of new cards get spoiled since i think we're almost done with the set yeah we're gonna have the entire thing in a, about a week it's i think the 19th is the last day of preview season is watsy released at their entire schedule so um you know i kind of like the condensed preview season because every day has a little bit more meat to it as opposed to the cards just trickling out so we've got quite a bit from the last week and I know uh, you wanted to start with a card that was very quickly previewed after we recorded last week's show. Yeah, it was like the same night or something, or like it was within 12 hours of us recording the show. And uh, definitely a card that I have my eye on as well, and that is Goldspan Dragon. Yeah, I think this one has a chance of being one of the better cards in this set, if it fits correctly. Like, I think this has a chance to be like a very impactful card in standard, possibly even Pioneer, you know, some other formats. I don't, I'm not sure about Modern, because, you know, five mana is a lot, but... I'm going to go ahead and read off the card for people real quick, and then you can kind of... Well, I'll, I'll read it off. I was, I was about to. Sure, go I got ahead. it up. So, uh, three red red for 4-4 four, four, Flying Haste, Dragon. Uh, so Already a, a decent rate. Yeah, a te- rate. and a template that we've seen before and seen have success in standard. And then, whenever Goldspan Dragon attacks or becomes the target of a spell, create a treasure token. Treasures you control have tap, sacrifice this artifact, add two mana of any one color. And uh, th- there's, you know, a surprising amount to unpack there. But the thing that sticks sticks out to me about the card is the ability to cast it, 
attack, get a treasure, and hold up some piece of interaction to protect the dragon, protect your, your position. You know, maybe it's a bone crusher giant to deal with an opposing creature. You stop them. Maybe it's a, uh, petty theft to deal with something bigger. Maybe it's a negate to protect the dragon. Uh, importantly, you know, it, you also get the treasure when it becomes the target of a spell. So, you know, if your opponent's holding up Heartless Act and you go Goldspan Dragon, they Heartless Act it, you can get the treasure and then still negate the Heartless Act and protect the dragon that way, which is really cool. Um, you know, there's the, uh, there's something like Ranger's Guile or the newish Ranger's Guile that puts a plus and plus one counter on it. And you can potentially protect dragon with that. If they try to kill it, you'll definitely get a treasure. And then it also says becomes the target of any spell, not just ones your opponents control. Yeah. So when you protect it with that counter, you'll just get the treasure back. So you're not looking at like necessarily being able to cantrip through stuff, but I can see people like, you know, a feather was still legal and standard trying to do a deck around these two cards and just go ham with that yeah. kind of stuff. I think if you're going to try to build a deck where you're going to be attacking a Goldspan Dragon and then playing a couple spells, because also people already, you know, they put a picture of this up with, like, three other spells behind it. They're like, yeah, this kills them immediately, because, like, you know, you get the mana, you get the mana, you get the mana. You go, like, Defiant Strike, Defiant Strike. Yeah, Yeah, whatever it is. I'm like, that. your deck's going to be terrible, I think, if you put all these cards together and, like, rely on, you know, drawing this five-mana dragon, having mana not being dead, and having all this resolve. That's going to be hard. If this is just something else that's good in your deck... I think this is going to, this is going to be very, very good. It's like you said, there's a pedigree of uh, five mana, four, four flying haste dragons being good. Yeah, you don't need to go that far out of your way to make a haste dragon good. Yeah, and like I'm thinking about Glorybringer, right? And like while this one doesn't jump off the page, like I remember the first time I saw Glorybringer, I was like, Jesus Christ, this card is absurd. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like if anyone's ever watched me cube on the arena cube, especially as I did it a ton last week, I just never, pa- I just, I never passed that card. It's just not beatable, right? And I don't think this card is going to be that level. But if the decks that it's good in are good, then I think this card could reach the level of play that that one did. Because it's like you said, you know, like you get the you get the mana right away, so you can protect it. You can be aggressive with it too. You get to cast something like Heartless Act on their creature. You know, it's like that's a big swing if they like tap out for a Planeswalker. Because that's the other thing too. I think these stats go pretty well against a lot of the Planeswalkers in standard right now, and it's able to kill them the turn that it attacks. Yeah, and e- even the new ones like Nico Man, Nico whatever, uh, yeah, you know, that starts on three, are. can plus to four. Uh, the Elf Planeswalker starts on three, pluses to four. Uh, you know, I went back and checked. Yeah, yeah. I went back and looked through it because that's been a big thing in Magic lately is, are the stats correct here? You know, like the difference between dealing three damage and four damage, you know, for your removal spells, for your creatures attacking, because that was a big problem of like Teferis and stuff in the back in, in, back in the day. And like some of these like three mana Planeswalkers is the creatures were not correctly statted to be able to attack them the turns of the game into play and killed them so they were staying around for too long now we're getting answers that are a little bit better the planeswalker rates are becoming a little more norm instead of super pushed so we're seeing this stuff be very very good also i can see cards like this being good in like mid-range decks and allowing you to play uh the the planeswalker that we talked so highly of uh the tibalt you know just like getting you to because this also just ramps if it stays alive even if it doesn't you're still getting an extra mana right so going from five to seven is relatively easy with this card if you make another land drop or if your dragon survives and you're looking at some very proactive stuff here and then not to mention you're going to be playing the other end of tibalt so when you play it if your opponent has this card you can ostracize it from them and then you can just make your own dragon i uh, may have done that on versus today spoiler is that alert. actually i didn't get to watch is that actually something that happened that sounds amazing to me i, I actually did. see this when i see this card i see it being grixis i don't know that's just maybe me but it just seems like it lends well with two mana spells when i think of that i think of red i think of blue i think of black uh so bit 
I'm going to go a little harder on the spoiler, but I also got to Valky Corey's Rada, the green red Rada, and then copy it the next turn and start making land drops off the top of my deck. And then later when he played his own Rada, he had a second copy. I claimed the firstborn, his Rada, and sacrificed his to the legend rule because I also had a Rada. I did some, I did some cool stuff with Valky today, but Goldspan Dragon also put in some work. I like the idea of it ramping you to Tybalt. Because it, you know, if you have Valky in play, it also just gives you extra mana to sink into Valky's ability. So you yep. can start turning it into a more effective creature. You know, Rakdos has a lot of things to use its mana on, right? You like, know, because I was going to say Rakdos fits in me because like you need to have mana sinks with this card too. Like, there's going to be games where you play this, you get to attack with it, they kill it, and you just have like four treasure tokens or th- you know two or three treasure tokens, and you don't really do a lot with it, right? Like you're not utilizing the extra mana enough and that's not good like you need to be utilizing all this extra mana aggressively and proactively for it to be very very good and the, you know the things you're talking about right now really really like lens i really wish there was another way to use treasures in the set like if we still had what was it treasure map you know like maybe that's something that we do in historic or you know uh, pioneer and these other formats like big red has been a thing for a while you know the mid-range red control decks and they almost always have something like treasure map in them and a treasure map with goldspan dragon maybe that's not a bad thing Chonky red treasure map gold spell. Ooh, I, I like that. I've there, been thinking there, about this. I like this card a lot, Ross. <laughs> I, I will tell you that there there is the that dwarf lord that was previewed very early on in December, Magda, that lets you make treasures when uh, your dwarves become tapped, and you can sack five treasures to search your library for an artifact or a dragon and put it onto the battlefield. The the three mana dragon is not legal anymore, right? The one that like you needed X amount of artifacts to. Uh... That one is also that's from the last core set. Um, so is that I, one legal? Yes, yeah. That that so Ooh. there are some payoffs Ooh. here. I'm not sure if that kind of theme is fully fleshed out because I don't see a lot of other good dwarves. There's like the 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 Boros one, call. I'm reading it now, but yeah, call the Forge Master that like does does stuff with equipment, uh, but is not particularly good. Doesn't jump off the page to me. Uh, but th- we're we're getting closer to there being enough of this kind of a theme. It, may, it might take another set or two. Like this might be a you know a summer deck when we have the the really big standard environment. But that's definitely something to look out for too. Uh, that said, yeah, I, I think we need a Goldspan Dragon. Is you know you don't need to go ham on treasures to make this card good. You just yeah. need ways to use mana. I think we're going to see the real strength of the set once a rotation happens. You know we'll start to see. You know, oh yeah, I, I think there's a lot of chance that some of these cards are not going to get the due they need and deserve until rotation happens. And then when that happens, I think standard's going to open up quite a bit. Oh, yeah. This fall is going to be a really big... Um, it's going to be really telling for the people that put in the work to go back and look at the old cards because Throne has been so powerful and so dominant that I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that is being suppressed that is going to come out to play come uh, next October. In fact, I, I, maybe Magic players might come out to play in October. I know, right? <laughs> there's, there's, some, there's, some, there's some inkling about late 2021. Yeah, that's my Late most doesn't... optimistic projection now is like early fall. But um, do you remember when we first started projecting this? Like some of our first episodes talking about oh this. Oh my and you were god! Like, yeah, and I was like, dude, we're not playing for at least you know why. I was <laughs> like, I was so naive. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not that you were naive. I think naive maybe slightly. You were hopeful, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and maybe there is some hopefulness in 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 being naive, but like that you know it clouds it. You know, there's definitely people who are more pessimistic when they're naive, and they're like, oh, it'll be a while, you know. And so, however you want to say it, but um. So we're going we're gonna to try to, we spent a lot of time on Goldspan Dragon. I think you and I could talk even more about it, but like, I do think this is going to be one of the bigger, this is one of the cards that jumps out, right? Yeah. You look at it in the spoiler, like this, this is an obvious, it's a mythic. So like, it's another thing to kind of be like, Hey, play me. I'm, I'm good. You know, kind of thing. So, 
Um, I do every now and then want to talk about a card or two for limited. So I want to talk for one second about the card that's right next to it, Glittering Frost. So this is a card that uh, it's two and a green. It's an enchantment. It enchants a land. The enchanted land is snow. And then whenever you uh, tap the land for mana, it has an additional mana of any color. Now, this isn't a very good card for standard, unless snow really, really matters. But we have seen cards like this in the past, because this is the kind of this is the kind of ramping that has been more prevalent in Magic over the last few years. But I can see this being good and limited. And I can see this maybe, maybe in the right standard deck if people just can't blow up enchantments stuff like that, where this is a relevant card because this is a snow enchantment itself. It makes the land itself snow. So you're getting two snow permanents for the price of one. Yeah. It doesn't cantrip, which, you know, or gain life like some of the ones in the past have, but it does ramp you into, you know, five and six drops very quickly. And there's some really good, like, five and six mana cards we've seen so far that have to do with snow, where this card could be relevant at some point. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i definitely in for that. You know, the double snow permanent is really nice. And there's definitely seems to be some pushing on snow stuff with Jorn. So I could see it seeing some standard play with yeah. Jorn, though if you're talking about cards that generate two snow permanents and ramp you, cultivate is still probably better because you're getting snow basics. Yeah. Um, so that they, yeah, there, there's still competition there, but you know maybe maybe you want both because uh, with Jorn with with the other side Cauldron, you can recast the enchantment from your graveyard if it's there. Maybe that's relevant to you in some respect. Maybe you have ways to untap specific lands like the 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 two mana snow elf that untaps a snow permanent. So now you're untapping and generating two mana out of it, like Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl. So it does seem like there's, you know, specific synergies built in with other cards in the snow theme. That gives me some hope for that card, but there's stiff competition with Cultivate and uh, Fertile Footsteps and things like that. Uh, which one do you want to talk about next? I mean, why don't we just move on to Jorn since I just brought it up? Uh, yeah, that's the... Uh, the was it? It's the Soltyish card, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's two and a green, legendary snow creature. It's, it's another god, so it's a double-faced. Three, three, and whenever Jorn attacks, untap each snow permanent you control, which includes it, so it kind of effectively has vigilance, uh, but also is generally going to be untapping a lot of your lands. You know, your basics presumably are all snow, and you might even play some of the tap dual lands that are snow just to combo with this and get more snow permanents in your deck. Uh, and then the other side of it is Cauldring, the Rhyme Staff, one blue-black legendary snow artifact, and says tap, you may play target snow permanent card from your graveyard this turn. If you do, it enters the battlefield tapped. So you can target lands with that if they happen to be in the graveyard, but otherwise just, you know, the, the Cauldring can rebuy the Jorn and set that up, and then the Jorn starts untapping the Cauldring, so you can target multiple things. Uh, you know, it comes in tap, but then you might untap it with the Jorn, so there's a lot of internal synergy going on with this card, and uh, this is definitely one that uh, my co-host on versus live Corey baumeister is hyped on you know sultai graveyard value mid-range stuff that, that that's his bag yeah i i'm real big on this card or as i like to call it jorn snow yeah the police i i was literally going to remark about how i hate this card because i'm gonna have to hear that pun so often and you just did it and you did it unironically and i really want to end the show now <laughs> yeah i for some reason i knew you would hate this because you hate fun but i'm also very tired of your yeah it's, it's just a lazy like, bad pun Speaking of laziness, too, like when I look at this card, just the lazy part of it, when you look at it, it says, you know, untap each snow permanent you control and attacks. It's just a wilderness reclamation if you're just playing snow lands. You know, so this does a good imp impression of uh, that kind of card. I'm thinking of um, the green black sword, uh, sort of feast and famine. You know, like you got to like attack with it and then trigger it and untap all your lands. If you if you have instance, this is a thing where you can kind of like with the trigger and stack, float all your mana, float the mana again in your combat step. 
you know, play an instant. You know, there's some there's some cool stuff that you can do there. I see this card as being abusable, but it is a three three for three. Yeah, that's it my that's no my protection. But but this is one of the cards that I like because with it being d- dual faced, if you get a lot of play out of this and you know how your deck works and you built your deck well, that you're gonna know which which uh, matchups you need to play which side more aggressively in. And there's matchups where you're like, oh, I'm just gonna want to play my staff. I'm sorry, the, the rhyme staff a little more aggressively and start trying to get value out of that. Or there's there's spots where I want to play this. Plus, when you draw them in multiples, it's actually pretty sweet, right? Like you play the the you know Jorn first, they kill it, and then you're like, well, I'm going to play my rhyme staff, and now I'm going to play my Jorn again from the graveyard. Do you want to kill it again? All right, I'll just cast it again. Yeah, you know, kind of. No, they're they're. I like the. I really like the design of these gods because like they're they're legends that you know don't have the the whammy of being legendary because when you draw two, you just get both halves. Yep. Um, that said, this one to me is more about the cauldron side than the Jorn side. I want to be taking advantage of that. And Corey actually brought up a really good point that he the card that he's waiting for this this one to work with is something like Seder Wayfinder. Yeah. We want some sort of snow Seder Wayfinder kind of effect and really, you know, set up that graveyard. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to get that. And even if you do, there's like scavenging news around to disrupt this. There's plenty of artifact removal because everybody has to kill the Great Henge and Embercleave and, you know, uh, glass caskets and whatnot. So I'm pretty low on this card. I just don't think it attacks the current metagame um, in a way that is going to be beneficial. But it is reasonably powerful. And as the metagame evolves, this is, you know, a card that I'll have in the back of my head. You know, if, if yeah. there's ever a metagame where people are going to struggle to kill a three mana three three, you know, there's just a million blood chiefs thirsts around and they're like, and things like that, then yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll look into this, but I don't expect that to happen very often. Yeah. Or all the removal for it costs four. You know, if everyone's playing, like there's a new Veraska's contempt in this set, it's if you don't gain two life, you know, if that's like the, the thing, which I don't think we need it as much in this set because there's not as many indestructible, you know, things in the set. So we'll see. What card do you want to talk about next? Let's do the elf stuff. We can kind of lump mm-hmm. a bunch of them together. So there's. Right, do you want to just start with the the big hitter then? Yeah. The so there's the, the planeswalker is definitely the biggest one. Tyvar Kell. So two mm-hmm. green green starts with three loyalty. Has a, a, a passive ability that's elves you control have tap add black. It says plus one. Put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target elf. Untap it. It gains death touch until end of turn. For zero, you can create a one one green elf warrior creature token. And minus six, you get an emblem with whenever you cast an elf spell, it gains haste until end of turn, and you draw two cards. So definitely a powerful planeswalker in the right shell. Uh, there's plenty of elf support in this set to uh, to set it off, and you know th- this is this is a card that is powerful enough that I'm willing to play some weak elves. You know, like the the sculptor of winter. The, the the elf creature that you know untaps a snow permanent. I'm willing to play something like that if I get to play Tyver Kill. And I think that's a really big point because I've got to agree with you here that for me to want to do something like that, right, to play the weaker cards, the payoff has to be big. And I actually think that Tyver Kell is a huge payoff in the fact that it's kind of in the mold of some of the older planeswalkers that we talked about that can win games by themselves because it has a plus one that's aggressive and you know kind of advances your board state. It has a defensive one. It doesn't kill a creature or whatever, like the old ones, but making a 1-1 is kind of defensive. It can block it, you know, generates some value in doing that. It makes its other abilities. But it's minus six practically wins the game if you untap with it or if you're doing stuff that turn because if it's still in play, your your elves have haste and they tap for mana. Be it they don't tap for green with the static, which is a big thing. So, like, hopefully you have some. There's a chance that when you minus six this, you're going to play, like, nine spells afterwards. 
you're drawing two cards with every time they have haste, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like elves with recycle and stuff back in the day when they used to do that kind of thing. You know, you just kind of plarp your whole deck in and you're like, Hey, is this good enough? You play 10 spells in a turn and hope it's good enough. So it does have that kind of feel to me of being good enough to warrant playing maybe some suboptimal cards throughout my deck. Yeah. And, and we've got some reasonable ones. We saw Realm Walker was one of the first cards previewed in the set. The Changeling, you know, that's going to generate card advantage. Great card to utilize a lot of mana with. I think when you when you look at Tyvarkel, what the the key takeaway is that it's pushing elves in a less aggressive direction, or at least straightforwardly aggressive. Elves is still going to be proactive, but what you're going to be doing is trying to set up this huge battlefield, have a bajillion mana, and then do something really over the top powerful with it to end the game. So you're not going to be nickeling diming your opponent. You can do that. You know, things like Realmwalker, Planeswalkers generating a couple extra tokens, Land War Visionary generating card advantage will let you play through just heavy disruption decks that way. And it's good to have that angle. But your plan A is to just spew elves onto the battlefield, make sure they all tap for mana and ha- set up one really big turn, almost like a combo deck. And that's, what, you know, Tyvar being this big payoff is what's pushing me into that. And then there's things like Elvish Warmaster. This is like the sort of elf role player. The 2-2, whenever one or more, you know, elves enters the battlefield, you get a 1-1, you know, elf warrior token. And then for 7, 5 green green, your elves get plus 2, plus 2 and gain death touch. This to me is probably like your backup. You're mainly playing it because it helps you spew elves onto the battlefield. But if you really need to and you don't have anything else, you can set and spend all your extra mana into this. Um, So that's nice to have. But the, the other two elf cards that I think are really exciting and might, you know, push this deck into viability are the two Golgari ones, or at least the two really powerful Golgari ones. Uh, and one of them is Harold. So Harold, King of Skemfar, one black green for a 3-2 with Menace, legendary elf warrior creature. It says, when Harold, King of Skemfar, enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal an elf, a warrior, or a Tyvar card. So you can find I a lot of different stuff. Walker, yeah. yeah, from among them and put it into your hand, put the rest on the bottom in a random order. This is just a very solid rate creature that generates easy card advantage uh, that's that's in your tribe. So obviously, like, something that you're going to want, and even though it's a legendary, something that you're going to max out on. Um, you know, just an excellent card here. It's actually really interesting to me that uh, between this and then the, the Saga, which is the last card I'll, I'll get to, you have a lot of different things that with Enters the Battlefield abilities— you know, there's Herald, there's Lanawar Visionary, there's the 2-2 that says when an elf enters the battlefield, you get a 1-1. That can only trigger once per turn, but if you blink it out and it comes back, it can trigger again. So I've actually been thinking of pairing these with Yorian and just making <laughs> I mean, a Yorian elf deck. Sense, right? <laughs> you have all this extra black mana lying around, you can pay for the Yorian pretty easily. There's a Ravenous Rats that's just an elf cleric. You know, that can be an easy, cheap creature, generate some card advantage, get your big battlefield out. It's a way to use extra black mana, Elderfang Disciple. Um, so a lot of good role players here, I think. And then the, I, I think the, the saga might be, you know, the Planeswalker is the most exciting one, but I would say the saga is the most surprising one. You know, I, I would have expected a sort of like elf Planeswalker if they're going to push this elf theme, but this, el- the elf saga is really cool. Harold unites the elves. Or as ch- I like to call it, Timurit calls the elves. <laughs> okay, we'll see why here in just a second. Go ahead. So it's two black green, has three chapters. The first one is mill three cards. You may put an elf or Tyvar card from your graveyard onto the battlefield. So you can get a Tyvar, that's great. You get a Herald. You that's get, really powerful, by the way. Yeah. Uh you know, I don't know if there's any like big five or six mana elves in the format. I don't think there is, but you know, good a good three mana elf for four mana and you're getting other stuff is good. The second chapter, 
Put a plus one, plus one counter on each elf you control. Okay, now we're starting to build our battlefield to go over the top when you have this wide, uh, you know, the wide selection of creatures. And then the third chapter, whenever an elf you control attacks this turn, target creature and opponent controls gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Can I go out and say that I think this might actually be more exciting than the Planeswalker? I think you might not have misspoke and you might have spoke correctly. Just <laughs> yeah. Because I want to talk about how powerful the first chapter of this is. And we mentioned this in the last show that some of these sagas come in and you're used to the first chapter being a little innocuous, not as good. And this one's really powerful because it does say mill three cards and then you may put an elf Tyvar card from your graveyard on the battlefield. It doesn't say from those three cards. So if you've had a Tyvar die or an elf die already this game, you're literally just playing a, a four mana card that has nothing but upside because you can hit something else, but you can also just get back what you've already gotten. So you're not going to miss as much with this card as people think when they first time they read this. So like, can you, can you, you know, uh, Tyvar costs what? Five mana, right? Um, four. I'm scrolling back down. Four, yeah, Tyvar costs four. Game. Yeah, so like, it's pretty easy that, it, you know, you play it, you get some value off of it, your opponent kills it, and then you're like, all right, well, I'll just, I'll just cast this, this saga, do it all over again, put the Tyvar back into play, and then, oh, by the way, like, you know, Tyvar makes another elf. I've already got some more elves. We probably just triggered another, when an elf comes into play, get another 1-1. One, one. Next turn, they're all going to get gigantic. And then do, <laughs> do you have another removal spell for everything? You probably don't. Yeah, you probably have some blockers, but they're not going to be very good. <laughs> all this is making me think about the fact that Witch's Vengeance is still in standard, so that's a thing that might actually become way more popular. Yeah, that's definitely a, if that... a hard check on the power of the elves deck, I imagine. But the, you know, like, the Sultai cards are, are, like, here's the thing. I think the other cards are weak overall. Like, a lot of the elf cards, are they're fine, right? It's it's kind of like you feel like the modern deck. You know, you're like, uh, this card's not very good, this card's not very good. Oh, shit, when they play, like, a, you know, one of their payoffs, you know? And and that's how this is starting to feel. Yeah, and and that's a, that's not a that's not a bad thing necessarily, all, but it means that the, those oh, shit cards have to be really good. And Tyvar and Herald are really powerful cards. These these stand out to me in the same way that something like Soren Imperious Bloodlord stands out to me. Like, that Vampire's deck had a lot of shitters in it, but Soren was just so fucked up good, and and then uh, Champion of Dusk, or uh, whatever it was, you know, th those two payoff cards, and, uh, you know, I had a lot of success years ago with Mono Blue Devotion, Fassa, Master Waves, a bunch of shitters. Yeah, same, you know, like, very similar decks. You know, and I mean, look at some of the role players that go around it, like, if there's not enough two-drop elves, you even have this, like, innocuous sorcery in the set that's called Roots of Wisdom. Uh, it's one in a green. It says mill three cards, then return a land card or elf card from your graveyard to your hand if you can't draw a card. Like, even that right there might be good enough to fill in some of the gaps. The fact that it's a little bit of card advantage. You know, you get to mill and fill your graveyard up. If there's any other reason to have your graveyard filled up other than Herald Unites the Elves. Like, if you're just playing four of that card and you want to be as impactful at all times, this is like your your crappy version of Seder Wayfinder. You know, like, this. make sure that you make your land drops or whatever, or it just gets, you know, you might find, uh, what's the three-drop elf you just said a minute ago, the one that draws a card because they play Tapsa Mana? Land War Visionary? Yeah, this, you know, make sure that you get Land War Visionary on three or whatever, make sure you hit the lands, whatever it is you need to hit. And this is one of those cards, like, we've seen cards like this in the past just be solid role players in decks like this because it just fills that need. It fills that hole. And then, you know, later in the game, uh, you can get something back that's really impactful. Right, you can get back a good elf or whatever. Or if your lands have something, there's a couple lands in the set that do things. Like there's the we're going to talk about this later. There's like the new Mutavolt type land in this. And um, if someone has any kind of graveyard hate against you, which like let's be real, it's funny, but you might need graveyard hate against the elf decks in the future. Uh, this card just cycles for one in a green, which is fine enough late in the game because you're just trying to find things to do. 
You know, yeah, so. you're just trying to essentially thin your deck and make sure you hit those really powerful payoff cards as often as possible. Yeah, a uh, card that you mentioned earlier, it's kind of going to read it off to people real quick. It's uh, Elder Fang Disciple. It's one in a black. It's an elf cleric. By the way, it's a cleric, so this is actually important too. And It's just a ravenous rat. It's one of the black for a 1-1 one, one, that when it comes into play, each opponent discards a card. Another just solid role player. Believe me, I've been I've been looking at how they're enabling party, and it's clear that they're doing so more and more with each new set. Uh, and it, it looks like they're doing it in this set via the elves. A lot of them are warriors, and they, you know, uh, they all trigger off warriors as well. This, uh, you know, the disciple being an elf cleric is nice. There's the card from uh, Zendikar Rising that you know is an elf, but counts as all the types for party. And that's one of the nice cards that, that unifies that. I don't see a payoff, a party payoff that links the elves with them, which is weird to me. Like all the party payoffs, like you know. There was the squadron squad commando that made like core warrior tokens. There was like the the red black vampire that's like a big flyer that's really cheap when you have party. And it was like it, it seemed hard to me to make those all fit. So there's no real reason to turn into party. But it, it's clear that the, like there was something that is in, intentionally designed into the set this way. So I'm waiting to see exactly where it connects because we don't have all the pieces yet. But that, yeah, that that was not an aspect of the card that was lost on me. So. uh I gotta say this for people who are fans of it. I have a lot of personal friends besides just you, like you know, local players and stuff that love it and just always jam elves and modern and stuff or pioneer whatever they could. Your uh, your 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 tribe is getting sorry. I stuttered a lot there. Your tribe is definitely getting some love in this set, and I think it's legit. And I think it's going to be good. I think it might be good enough. We'll have to see. Um, a couple other things. I do think since we're like kind of in that little area, the green god might have a chance to you know. There, there's like four green gods. You'll have to be more. I'm specific. sorry. The uh, Kulvori, God of Kinship. Okay, this is the legend, the le- like the one that keys off of legends. Because there's there's a decent bit of legendary uh, elves in this set, you know, and, and that matter and stuff. And like, let's just read both halves of the cards and we can kind of talk about it. So this one's, you know, it's a dual mode. The there's a cheap version of it. It's one in a green for a legendary artifact. It enters uh, when it enters the battlefield. You choose a creature type, so we're probably choosing elf, whatever. And then it just taps to add a green. And you can spin it to cast a creature spell of the chosen type or a legendary creature spell. Period. So like, you can still cast other stuff in green, but this is a uh, kind of like a, a diamond. Is that the the, sure. the that there was like sky diamond, charcoal yeah, yeah. diamond, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like a it's like a diamond. It makes green, but only for certain things. But the other end is this is something to do with some of your mana and stuff. That, and stuff that, the other end is two green green for a two four legendary creature god. So as long as you go three or more legendary creatures, uh, this creature gets plus four plus two and has vigilance. So it just becomes a six six, and then it has an ability of one and a green tap it. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may feel a legendary creature from among them. Put it into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom. While I don't think this like jumps off the page, whatever, blah blah blah, it might not be, uh, you know, whatever. If you know you need to go from two to four a lot, which looks like you might with cards like Tyvar and and you know that enchantment being very good, and you just want and mana if, in general, so yeah. And if you're yeah, you just want as much mana as possible. And if your deck has legendary creatures in it, like which you know it just might, then this is a card that slots in pretty well. Yeah, and uh, I was actually, this was not a card that really uh, called out to me at first, and I was reading an article from uh, Autumn Burchette. They actually wrote about it this past week, and I was surprised to learn just how many legendary green creatures there are just in a beatdown shell. You know, there's in the two slot, there's Sir Farron that you can play. There's Yorvo. There's Questing Beast. 
There's Vornclex in this set, which has been really impressive on Versus. We've played it multiple times now. That card is it's, really good. That card's really good, yeah. Uh, and now, and Calvori, so, you know, you, this can be a four mana 6-6 six, six pretty easily. Uh, and, and it has Vigilance then, too, so you still get to activate it. You know, those green decks like to have some two mana, you know, acceleration when they can sometimes if they're not perfectly curving out. So both, both halves more than, uh, more than usable. Um, this is a card that might be sneaking under the radar because I agree. It does seem like a reasonable fit in the elf deck too. Uh, because I, I want, when I'm playing this elf deck, like your, your plan A is to go really wide, but I want a little bit of the capability of going tall, of like making one big threat just so I can diversify the way I'm attacking my opponent and they can't just load up on sweepers and destroy me. You know, being linear and standard for the last five years has been a death sentence. You need to be able, you need to be adaptable to a, a, some degree. And this is a card that fits pretty well into the deck anyway. Like it, it, the extra mana can aid your plan A, the card advantage can aid your plan A, but it also it contributes to the plan B. Um, so uh, that's, that's a good, that's a good, good catch, Tannen. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you want to move on to next? There's so many cards that I just want to talk oh, about. Yeah. So Let, let's do the the uh, the world tree. This is the not this is the nonsense card of the set. If if you were somebody who played Omnidor Thragfire back in the day, yeah, we're gonna be talking about a couple other cards with this one. So I'm just gonna read the world tree for everybody because this one caused a little bit of a stir on social media when it got printed. It's a land. Uh, it enters the battlefield tapped. You could tap it for a green. Here's the line that where the value of this really comes in. It's just as long as you control six or more lands. Lands you control have tap, add one mana of any color. So this is pretty cool. Just as, as long as you have six lands in play, your lands are now all uh, do- domain. You know, they can, they can tap for anything. There's another piece of this card. You can pay two of every color. That's two white, blue, black, red, green. Just call it progenitus mana. You can, you can, okay, you can pay progenitus. You can tap it. Sacrifice the world tree. Search your library for any number of god cards. Put them onto the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. I want to talk about this card for a minute. Uh, a big point to talk about here: this card is not legendary for some reason. A lot of people pointed that out. You know, we've had this in the past. A lot of cards called the something. You know, and like questing beast. It's like, well, why isn't it the questing beast? And it's not legendary, but this one's the world tree, and it's it's not legendary. I get moving away from legendary lands. They've talked about this. They don't template well. They don't play well when it comes to the thing of magic. I get that. That makes sense, kind of stuff. I'm gonna say this. I think this card is okay. I don't think it's as busted as everybody thinks it is because I do think the last ability is kind of a a trap in the fact that I don't want to put like a bunch of god cards into my deck and then have to build this deck that can that can make progenitus mana as quick as possible. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some combo where you're just like, oh, I go get exactly these five cards or I go get exactly these four cards, right? And that's busted. But something that got pointed out on social media, I'm trying to find the card so I get the name right since it's all new. There is a built-in combo with this card in this in this set. It's called a uh, Maskwood Nexus. It is a four mana artifact. It says creatures you control are every creature type. The same is true for creature spells you control and creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield. And you can pay three and tap it and make a two-two blue shapeshifter creature token with changeling. So you can you know it's, it's a it's just a good limited card period. But if you have this in play and you activate the world tree, it just puts all the creatures from your deck into play. I see you kind of like rubbing your face. I don't know if that's just because you're tired or if it's one of those things like this, these kind of things just hurt your head. This is not my style of magic because generally this is not good. Like when you're yeah, building that, decks that, around uh, this kind of stuff, that's it's not, not competitive. Yeah, it's not competitive, I think is the way to put it. Yeah, that's that's not going to be good. 
Uh, and I completely agree with you. That last ability on the world tree, that, that's basically irrelevant. You, what you're playing this for is so you can ignore all the casting costs of your cards and, you know, cast ultimatums off of whatever seven lands you happen to have. So you can just build your mana base so that you can cast whatever interaction and ramp you have in the early game. And then you get to play only the most powerful payoffs possible in the late game. And the world tree just, you know, links it all together. So to me, this is a key card for any ramp deck moving forward in standard. I think that that's what the ramp decks are going to be doing. I think it's reasonably powerful in doing so. Um, but it's not, you know, anything broken. I will say this, in other formats, if you want to have fun with this, this is a sweet target to target with Golos and Cascading Cataracts. There's like a lot of cool stuff that you can do with that and have fun with it. There's a couple of cards I want to talk with this because I'm going to draft this set a lot and I will first pack one, pick one, pick the World Tree because of some of the other cards in the set. Some of which are rare, some of which are in commons. We'll get into that, but I just want to be able to do that once. But like, here's a good one. Uh, there's a dual-faced god in this set that goes along well with this card. It is obviously, it's a god of the tree. You know, you know, obviously it's re referring to the world tree. It's two green, it's one green green for a one four god. It's got vigilance. You can tap it, to, It has. it's a bird paradise. You can tap it at a man of any color. But it says other legendary creatures you control have vigilance and, you know, have birds of paradise, right? The other end is a card that's also a big thing here because you're going to see a lot of these cards work with the world tree and the fact that they want you to have domain. They want you to pay all five colors. The other end is just a legendary enchantment that costs one of every color. And it says at the beginning of your upkeep, Reveal cards from the top of your library to reveal a creature or a Planeswalker card. Put the card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library anywhere. So you're just cascading every every turn during your upkeep. You just you put a creature into play or an enchantment into play, right? So if your deck's pretty powerful behind this, if you've got gods and stuff for the world tree, this is another avenue that your deck can be doing. And you can do this as soon as turn like three or four in standard if you do the right kind of stuff. You have Snowlands, you're untapping them, you're doing it right, you're casting Cultivate. This is something, Cultivate into this on turn four, pretty damn powerful if you can make this sit around. So this is a big thing to be doing. The way that I'm gonna be doing stuff like this, like I, I like this idea of these things working together. There's also another enchantment I think is really cool in this set that goes along the same line. We can kind of talk about all these together because they didn't really hide it from you. They just put all of it with the same name-ish. This was just called Path to the World Tree. You get what I'm saying? They like, they're not even gonna make you work for anywhere. They're like, here are all the cards <laughs> that work together. They all reference the World Tree. What are you playing? World, world Tree Tribal. <laughs> yeah, World Tree Tribal. So this one is a one in green enchantment. It says, when it comes into play, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it in your hand, and then shuffle your library. Already pretty sweet card, right? It's not rampant growth, but it you know, fixes some mana. Two-mana two Lay of the Land is not a particularly sweet okay, card. It's a two-mana Lay of the Land that's an enchantment that can matter in this format, but it has an ability behind this. It has two white, blue, black, red, green. So two and one of every color. Sacrifice this. This gets wordy, so I'm going to go slow. Sacrifice, path to the world tree. You gain two life, draw two cards. Target opponent loses two life. Path of the World Tree deals two damage to up to one target creature. You create a two-two beast creature token. So, I'm I'm in for this unlimited. This this is my kind of card. I want to do this because it's one of these things. It's like it's it's a card that's fun. You you get this big payoff when you do it, and you feel really good about it until you still lose after you do it, which is like <laughs> the most fun thing to do with limited. Right? You're like do this big broken thing that's great, and I still lose probably. Charge your cards, make a two-two, kill your two-two, and they're like, okay, play a five-five. You're like, well, I'm dead. Block off my 2-2 for a turn, die next turn. You yeah, know, that kind of thing. But um, it's pretty cool, right? Because it, 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 it's a card that, like you said, two mana lay of the land, not playable. It being an enchantment, still not playable, even though, you know, we can do stuff. But it does lead you into other things. So you see all this stuff together. And I can see Path of the World Tree being a, a high pick 
in limited because of that if like five colors is easy enough to achieve but also just making sure that you get your land drops and you can like if green is your main color you can splash pretty easily in the set you know you can splash uh like if you're green black you can splash a blue card now so now that you have the blue black cards that are very powerful etc cetera, etc cetera. so we see all these world tree cards i think they're all cool they're all fun i don't know how competitive they are ross yeah, the, the other cards around it, I'm not high on. I think a, a card like Prismatic Bridge reads really flashy, and you imagine, you know, hitting some awesome card off of it and taking over the game. But the reality is, when you're playing a deck that is tapping out early to ramp to cast Cultivates and Fertile Footsteps, you need to pair that with Cheap Disruption, or you're just going to get run over. So you need things like Bone Crusher Giant, or Shatter the Sky, or... You know, you know, whatever it is that you're playing, but you need a lot of, you know, early cheap, cheap disruption and, you know, enough payoffs at the end that you hit them consistently. Finding that balance is always tricky, but you're still going to fall behind a little bit because you're taking some turns off. And that means I need the payoff card that I'm casting once I've ramped up to six, seven, eight mana ahead of schedule to be really consistent and powerful in what it's doing. I need, I, need, I need to be able to rely on it to, you know, bring me back in games where I'm behind or close games where we're at parity. Prismatic Bridge both has zero immediate impact. You know, they can just ECD it and you get nothing or wilt it or, you know, do a lot of other things. Plenty of ways to destroy enchantments, gem raiser. Um, and the next turn you do it, like, what if you just hit a Bone Crusher Giant? You're like, great, I got a 4-3. Like a Brazen Bar, or great, I got a 3-1. Because those are some of the best early disruptive cards in this in the set because they provide inherent card advantage. You know, I don't like my payoff cards to be so variable. So I, I want to be, you know, casting cards like Inspired Ultimatum and Ugin. You know, world you don't really need World Tree to cast Ugin, but it's still really powerful. But you know, Ultimatums are the kind of cards that I'm looking at because they're really, really difficult to cast. Uh, but, and, you know, really difficult to ramp into, especially because, you know, you're going to need early green mana, but the world tree just fixes everything for you there, lets you have your cake and eat it too. So that's the payoff that I think is really powerful. Those cards, you know, obviously, you know, powerful by themselves. The world tree is really good at helping you just cast, you know, uh, really heavy color requirement cards, which are the weakness of pathways. Pathways are good at letting you cast single colors across a spread. So, like, Pathways were really good at helping you cast Omnath, one of four different colors. They're very, they're not very good at helping you cast, you know, green, green, white, white in your aggro deck, which is the car, the thing that annoys me the most about the World Tree is that for like four years straight now, I haven't been able to play a two color aggro deck that could ever curve out or cast its spells. And yet somehow these fucking mid range and ramp players just get to cast whatever fucking cards they want. It's like the fucking casting cost doesn't matter at Fucking all. And I'm just sitting over here like, can I afford to play a second double red card in my green deck? Like, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to cast this on time. Like, fuck you. Let me cast my spells in a goddamn aggro deck. I'm not going to. I like, angry you are about this still. I love it because it's just, it's so true. It's Do you know so how many true. two-color aggro decks I build during every preview season? And I'm just like, yeah, what if I curve this card into this card? It's great. It's like, well, but you can't ever do that. Yeah, the mana's not good enough. You have two one-drops of different colors, unplayable. Yeah. Put some Stone Coil Serpents in your deck, you fucking idiot. So I'm going to file this away at, like, cool, fun, you know, I'm sure people will make, you know, put this in some commander stuff because it does some cool, fun shit. If if ramp is your thing, then, like, start looking at the world tree, but, you know, don't don't build entirely around it. That, That last ability is a fucking trap. 
Like, if, if you want some gods in your deck, cool. And maybe sometimes you'll, if you're really flooded in the late game, you'll sack a world tree and turn it into a god. Like, that's fine. But don't think you're going to sack the world tree and put five different gods into play and, you know, all have a big fucking party. That's not going to happen. There's a fucking pandemic. No parties. No parties. <laughs> no, no, no large social gatherings. Sorry. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on before Ross gets too heated and has to, <laughs> you know, break his... Are you on your laptop now? I want you to break your laptop. Yeah. So, so you I'm going to get no heated and, like, computers. throw my back out or something, gesture yeah. wildly. Another card that I wanted to talk about here, and this is a card, Ross, I want this one to be good so bad. This is this. I wonder if you know what card I'm talking about, but this card, I want this one to be good so bad. I think it's going to be very good and limited. Uh, okay, I think I know which one you're talking about. What, what do you think it is? Is it Asika's Chariot? No, it's Cosmos Charger. So this is the one, it's it's three and a blue for a 3-3 three, three flyer with Flash. Oh, uh, okay. And then foretelling cards from your hand costs one less and can be done on any player's turn. And it also has foretell for uh, for two and a blue. I don't think this is going to be good enough for Constructed. Like, I agree. I think Raph this card Capsian, is going to be like... Whatever it was called wasn't, wasn't good enough. It's pretty much like a very similar type card. Um, I will say this. The effect it has is very, very, very powerful. Foretell being one less is extremely powerful because a lot of the cards are going to be cheaper, so you're actually just, like, netting a lot of mana here. The problem is it's four mana for a 3-3 flyer that probably dies to every removal spell in standard, you know? So uh, getting it to survive and building your deck around it is probably not going to be good enough. It's probably going to be just a little bit too slow. I want this card to be good so so bad, Ross. I will never not first pick this card. <laughs> oh, it's definitely a very good limited card. That That's for sure. Uh, but as far as constructed, like I, I like some of the foretell cards, but I just wonder like how many foretell cards are you going to put into your deck that this card now becomes worth playing? You need a lot, and I'm just not sure there are enough to make me want to play the card. Um, because yeah, it's it you know it's a little bit it's a blow ray. It's dying a lot to scorching dragon fires and stuff, you know. Um, but it's a cool card. I can imagine in a in a metagame where there's a lot of sorcery speed removal, you know, a lot of glass caskets, I can see this card being good because those are metagames where you usually want to be playing counter spells and, and instant speed stuff, and I do think uh, Behold the Multiverse is really good. You know, the the Fortel counter spell, this is like cancel with Fortel 1 and a blue, um, I think is okay. Overall, I kind of think it's worse than Neutralize, but I'm not entirely sure. Because I do like the squeeze that having both it and Behold the Multiverse put your opponent in. Like, because they both have the same foretell cost. So it can look like you have either. And it's hard, like, you get punished if you're guessed wrong either way. If you think they have the draw spell and you play your threat, they counter it. If you think they have the counter spell and you do nothing, they can cast the draw spell. Um, you know, I, I played and like a sort of is it tempo-y control deck with Behold the Multiverse and more counter spells. And this card could definitely fit into that deck. But, you know, I'm not going to play a ton of Fortel cards. Though, I do like, um, if maybe, maybe I can play it. Is it Fortel deck, actually? I'm kind of talking myself into it because I like some of the red Fortel cards that were previewed recently. So we, we can dovetail into a couple of those and just kind of look at Fortel overall. Um, so there, th this was all today, I believe. Yeah. So there's, um, th I don't know the regular name, but it, it's all in German. But it's a two and a red instant that deals four damage to a creature or planeswalker. You know, already not the worst, uh, and it has foretell for a single red. So you foretell for two, and then you get a one mana four damage spell later on, which is really nice. I think that, you know, a lot of the issue with these sort of like, is it flash style decks and other flash style decks in the past has been in that mid game, like turns four to six, 
you can have a hard time double spelling to keep up with your opponent. And setting up with Fortel lets you do that more effectively. And that's one of the things I like about it. So we can play that card. You know, Fortel it for one, cast it for one is nice. And then there's Crush the Weak, which is the Pyroclasm. You'll two and a red sorcery, two to each creature. If a creature dealt damage this way, would die this turn to exile it instead. And Fortel for, again, a single red mana. This one I actually like because of the way these small sweepers work. You know, when you're trying to set up that three mana sweeper, you don't really want to interact on two. You just want to sweep their board on three. Uh, but when you tap out for the sweeper, then they get to untap, play, deploy a threat. Now you're still behind, right? But with Fortel, you can Fortel crush the weak on turn two, then crush them for a mana on turn three, have two mana up, play an instant speed removal spell on their next threat, and now you're untapping with a clean battlefield. Or Fortel again. You know, just yeah. setting up your, your draw spell next turn, leaving up mana. Like, yes, there's, yeah, a lot of cool, there's a lot of cool play lines with Fortel. We talked about this a lot last week. Honestly, I'm I think I'm I think I might try it and is it Fortel deck at some point. I'm gonna wait until we have the entire set, but and I'm gonna see if the, if this card can can be good. The the three three flash. I, I'm with you. This is you know we have a similar affection for mopey is it cards that play at instant speed, um, and so the, this is definitely a card that I would like to be good as well. Um, and but I've I've. I've tried to train the back of my my mind to be like Ross. This is just a U card. It's not going to be good. Like, don't waste your time. But just just for you, Tannen, I'm going to try this one on versus next next week. I'll even help you build the deck if you'd like. Um, yeah. Speaking of red cards, there is an innocuous red common in this set that I think has a chance to have some eternal um, implications. Have you seen the card seize the spoils yet? So this is the tormenting voice that makes a treasure for three mana. Yeah. So there was a there was a four mana version of this in uh, I think Ixalan yeah, that made two that treasures. Made two, yeah. So this is just a two and a red sorcery. It says additional cost of spell. Discard a card. Then you draw two cards. You make a treasure token. I think, I think that I could see myself playing this in Reanimator variants in like Legacy. And the fact that even on like you could turn one somebody with this, which is like Ancient Tomb, Lotus Petal, like discard your thing draw a card, reanimate it. And like... Which you can't do with Tormenting Voice, right? Because you'd have a call. You can't do with Tormenting Voice. You effectively get um, to... I, I think this card is it's something you should look at. Like, when I looked at this card immediately, I was just like, it being three mana instead of four for this kind of effect, plus you get the mana afterwards immediately if you want. This is something that I could see. Plus, like, it's not horrible to cast this in, like, when I say the mid-game, I mean, like, turn three, once they've, like, counterspelled your first attempt at doing something or whatever. Or you're long, you're going long because you can pitch a card that's not good. You can pick an, pitch an excess land, get two cards deeper into your deck. Generally, mana is not a problem in that deck. You only need you know two to three to four, like over the span of multiple turns. You know, when I think about red black reanimator and stuff, and card quantity is not really a thing you need to worry about too bad in that deck. So just making sure you find the pieces. The only problem with this is you probably need your reanimating uh, your reanimator target to be in your hand. You need Gristlebrand in your hand, right? You know, that kind of thing. So this is a card that does actually strike me as one of the ones that sneakily could be playable in an internal format and does kind of excite me a little bit when I look at it. Because we see that happen about, what, once every year or two, something gets printed, you know, some common or uncommon, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute. The rate of this and the way that it works out just fits into modern or legacy or something, you know. So this is the one that stood out to me as this might show up. Definitely not one that uh, registered on mine, but I, I see where you're going with it. I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'll throw this, if it's ever in, like, 
a, a cube or whatever, this is a really good reanimator thing for, for like, you know, cube variants and stuff in the future. I know that's not something we need to really harp on too much, but I do see this card having potential like that. Uh, another one that we need to talk about that I wanted to move on to, was this the one that you thought would be my favorite card? Was this Coma Cosmos Serpent? Was this uh, the one that you were talking about? No, no, no. I was talking about the the thing that made cats. I thought you were going down the cat, cat bandwagon. Was, but anyway, cats are fine. But I actually want to talk about this for a little bit. There's another busted Mythic Simic card in the set. Stop me if you've heard this before. Um, and I do mean busted. I know there was some talk on social media about this card is good or not. And the people who think it's not good, I'm like, what What have you been smoking? I understand this card costs seven. That's the thing most people are like, it costs seven. And I'm like, have you seen mana in today's, <laughs> in today's environment? Like, if you see, we have ramp spells, but I'm going to read the card off real quick because it reads like a banger. So, as the kids would say, it's three green, green, blue, blue. So, seven drop for a six, six. This spell can't be countered already. That's, this card's pretty damn good so far. The fact that it can't be countered because there's a lot more to this. Um, at the beginning of each upkeep, Ross, I want to make sure everyone at home understands that each upkeep, yours and theirs, create a 3-3 blue serpent creature token named Coma's uh, Coil, whatever. Just make a 3-3 serpent token, right? And then it has an ability where if you sacrifice another serpent, you get to choose one of these two abilities. Tap target permanent. Its activated abilities can't be activated this turn. The other one is uh, this, you know, Coma itself gains indestructibles in a turn. I want to talk about this. So the turn you play it, the control deck can't count, can't counter it, right? So it's in, it's uncountable. And if they can't kill it at instant speed before their upkeep, they can't kill it unless they can exile it. Like obviously you could Elspeth Conquer's death this, right? Like that that's gonna be the big thing, is Elspeth Conquering Death This, but then it leaves behind a 3-3. So that's not the worst thing in the world, right? At least you have a body, you just keep attacking, whatever, blah, blah, blah. The fact that the abilities on this are so relevant when it gets a, a counter during both upkeeps, I think this card is very good. We'll have to see if it finds the right kind of home. The casting cost is kind of difficult, but Simic is not really, you know, it's never had a problem with casting big dumb idiots before in its past. And then the first ability, tapping a permanent and it loses its abilities, that's actually pretty cool too because, like, you could upkeep, tap their Planeswalker, and, like, now they can't activate their Planeswalker. There's all kinds of, like, little time-walking wa uh, time type little effects that you can do and stuff here. I think this card's pretty good, and I think this card's going to show up in some Destructed decks. So, uh... To me, this card is a very specific role player. I imagine it being a good sideboard card for Genesis Ultimatum decks against heavy counterspell decks. Like the decks that are bringing Negate against you, you now bring in this yeah, instead. You, you you trim down on on Genesis Ultimatums, you bring in Comas, and now like they they have their you know counterspells up, and they're like, yeah, tap out for seven mana. You're like, yeah, go fuck yourself. And you know they're usually bringing out the sweepers and the things that would answer Coma for more, you know, specific answers to certain cards. Um, but as a main deck card, like, it's dying to Heartless Act. It's, you know, you know before you get a Serpent, if they, they have the man up, or you, they can respond to the trigger on their own upkeep, right? Um, it's dying to Elspeth Conqueror's Death. It's dying to... It's quite bad against the Akroan War. Um, so there's a lot of weaknesses in the current metagame for this card. I agree it's a powerful card in the abstract, and, you know, over its time in standard, the time might come for it to be a main deck card because it just matches up well against the removal that's around. Uh, but right now, the removal it's seeing play matches up pretty well against it. So to me, it's more of a cyborg card because when it, when it, when you don't answer it, it's awesome. So I see, I see the power that you're saying. I'm just worried about the, its specific fit. Um, but if people are, you know, loading up on negates and mystical disputes, this card is going to fuck them up. I, 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 I look at this card. And I can't see how someone say, yeah, it's just bad. Yeah, that that's ridiculous. Like, this card is going to dominate games. 
when it lifts. It, it, it checks all the boxes for good cards. It's a mythic. It's it's it's, it's simic. simic. It has a lot of words on it. <laughs> yeah, those are the three boxes. What <laughs> else could you want? Three boxes. Check them all. Right? And it's a weird creature type. Right? Three for three, baby. <laughs> yeah, three for three. Exactly. We are so, one hit away from batting for the cycle. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Oh, this thing literally did hit for the cycle. So uh, love this card a lot. Um, let's go ahead and talk about another god. Uh, the next set. This is one of the uh, mono black gods. This is Turgrid, God of Fright. So the creature half, because uh, we're seeing all these are creatures, and then like their their god counterpart. You know what Mjolnir would be to Thor. You know, kind of thing. So, and yep, that's how you pronounce it, by the way. Uh, it's three black black for a four or five of menace. Already a pretty decent rate on a creature, right? Like it, you know, so it says whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent or discards a permanent card, you may put that card from their graveyard onto a battlefield under your control. So, very, very powerful. This is one of those cards that when someone plays it, if you do not answer it, you are probably dead. Because now, if they make you discard a card that's a permanent, or they kill something that's a permanent, they get it. They just get that card. So that's very good. Now, the other end of it works pretty well with this card, right? It's three and a black for a legendary artifact. It says tap, target player loses three life, Unless they sacrifice a non-land permanent or discard a card. So you're just bolting them every turn with this or whatever. And then you can play three in a black to untap this. So, you know, as the game progresses, when you have mana and you're not doing anything, you're just like, all right, activate this, untap it, activate this. I think this card is a chance to show up in some spots. This card seems very powerful. I I am not really in on the god side of it. I think the, the god side of it is like kind of overkill you know you've resolved your five drop you've untapped now you're like making them sack stuff and they have to sack permanent somehow and so you're getting them uh, you know most five drops are going to win the game in those scenarios but i'm kind of in on the lantern side of it yeah i think in any sort of control mirror if you resolve an early lantern they're just gonna die yeah. Like, you're going to dome them for 15, and then they're going to, you know, you're going to whittle down all their resources. All those turns in the control mirrors when you're just staring at each other, you're probably lanterning them twice. You're going, you know, activate, untap, activate on their end step. You know, let's go. You know, but... Yeah, I, I again, I, I think both cards, sides of this card are great. I, I like the lanterns a lot. I wanted to say something. How good do you think Wilt is going to be in this format? Cards like that that can answer enchantments or artifacts. Huh. And they were already good. Dead. Yeah, and they're just yeah. not dead. Like, yeah, I think that card's going to be just seeing a, a complete uptick and whatever. Uh, you, Ross mentioned this card earlier. Saw It Coming is a card that we talked about would probably show up in this set, and it did. It's it's just Cancel. It's one blue-blue counter spell, but it has Foretell. So uh, pretty big upgrade there, and the fact that its Foretell cost is cheaper. It's one in a blue. I really think the Foretell cost should just be blue-blue. It should just be actual counter spell for flavor-wise or whatever, but whatever. You know, this makes it makes the... Uh, a cool thing about this is you don't even have to have double blue to use this as a counter spell now. So if your draw is really weird in some games, you could pay, you know, blue and black on turn two. And then on turn three, you could have like black, black, blue up and you can cast this double blue yeah. spell, which is pretty which, cool. Which, you know, can help if you, if you just don't have the double blue or if you want to go like Blood Chief's Thirst, hold mm -hmm. this up or hold up Heartless Act. You can do right. both. Just a lot of versatility, which I like. Uh, I'm not sold it's better than Neutralize. But if Fortel is better than I think it is, I've been like... You know, I've been pretty happy with it so far. Not blown away by the mechanic as a whole. I think it's just solid. It's just really yeah, solid. Yeah, yeah. It's just just solid. Um, so I, I I could see it, and I you know, we'll we'll definitely be trying it out. And uh, you know, the the jury's still out there. All right, all right. Uh, lots of cool cards. Did you did you have one in particular you want to talk about next? I'm gonna start moving up the, um, the spoiler. Yeah, we can we can move up. I I have not heard a single person mentioned Reckless Crew, and when I read this card, I got really excited. 
Mm-hmm. Granted, I've been trying to make equipment-y, vehicle-y decks work forever, so maybe the, the, like it's just my bias. But this card like reads pretty well to me. So uh, the the thing with this card, and uh, sorry, I'm, I'm gonna let yeah. you sorry read it, and then I want to say something about it because I agree with you. Good. So so it's three and a red for sorcery. It says create X two one red dwarf berserker creature tokens, where X is the number of vehicles you control plus the number of equipment you control. For each of those tokens, you may attach an equipment you control to it. So the reason I like this card, and you're probably going to say one of the same things, is the reason I hate equipment vehicle decks is sometimes you draw, what I say is all filler and no thriller. You know, you draw, like, all your equipment, or you draw a bunch of vehicles, right? Like, how many times did you play decks with Smuggler's Copter in it? Or, you know, uh, I'm, I'm talking about the, the broken ones here, like Skull Camp, whatever. But then, like, if you didn't have creatures to crew or to equip, your deck is bad. It's, like, underpowered. You're not doing anything, right? This is a card that when you have those draws where you're like, do that thing on two, do that thing on three, do that thing on four, whatever, and your opponent's like, well, he doesn't have any creatures, and this can happen. Then you cast this, and like, they just died. Yeah. Like, your turn just got huge because it attaches stuff to it for free. These creatures are big already. They're two ones, and then you're going to attach all these things to it. Like, you're going to have people die with this card. Yeah, it creates huge swings. Yes. Because you're not only generating, ex- you know, a bunch of two ones, you're generating the extra mana that you would otherwise be used otherwise used to equip your equipment. So it's almost like you're getting the two ones for free. Like you're spending the mana to do the equipping. Uh, So definitely a card you will uh, see me trying out. You know, I I look at a a card like Tormentor's Helm, which is easy to overlook. You know, the, the what just one man equipment, you know, it's a, you know, Leonin Scimitar for red that also has the creature ping the defending player if it gets blocked. Right. Very innocuous card, but you know, you're light on one drops anyway in most red decks. That's just a cheap equipment to start enabling all these synergies and, you know, help out a card like the, uh, like Reckless Crew be a big payoff. Uh, I have a, I have a mono red deck kind of brewing in my head that is equipment themed, artifacty themed. Like I'll I'll probably have the, that three mana dragon. I'll have the, you know, gold span dragon because all those treasures, you know, equipment is a great mana sink for them. You know, we've got fervent champion. I'll probably play the dwarf. And we'll see where it goes from there. Um, you know, even that, like, Tormentor's Helm, like, pinging the defending player when it's blocked is going to be good with Torbrin. You know, Torbrin's going to turn that into three damage. That's really cool. So there's already some synergies there. You're already, you're going to play Embercleave because that's an awesome equipment. Uh, so the, the Reckless Crew is an overlook card to me. Oh, for sure. There's some other uh, small little things to work well with it. Like, because some of the, uh, there's some vehicles in this set that are like legendary artifacts. Like I want to talk about the green one real quick because it works with Reckless Crew kind of well. You know, if you wanted to do something like that where it's it's uh, Eska's Chariot, it's three and a green for a 4-4 four, four vehicle. But when it comes into play, it creates two uh, two, two green cat uh, creature tokens. It crews for four, so it can crew itself. And it says when it attacks, it creates a token that's a copy of target token you control. So like this card, yeah, it, it's like not great, but the more I look at it, there's a lot of things to like here, right? Like, it's, it's a big creature. It creates two bodies along with it. It's pretty easy to crew. You don't get to attack with it right away. But if you do get to attack with it, that ability is really powerful because it makes tokens for you to you know, copy. You'll probably be playing it along in a deck with something like Reckless Crew or something like that. Plus, let's be real. Uh, you know, everybody at home loves to copy their tokens. You know, they love doubling season, all that kind of stuff. So this is kind of like a two for one when it comes out. It gives you the tokens and it gives you the ability to start copying some of them. So I'm not saying this is going to make like constructed play or whatever, but this is just another card you see that like, like Reckless Crew, it's easy to overlook, but this card does a lot of stuff for itself, you know, and kind of fits in those themes. Yeah, that's that's the point that, that 
comes to me when I see this card. It does things for itself. You know, generating those tokens means that you're going to, even if they kill some stuff, you probably have enough to crew it again and then keep making more tokens. It's all self-perpetuating and self-contained. So I, I liked this card when it was first revealed and I first read it. The My issue with it is I just haven't found a home for it. Like every deck I think to try to put it in, it's like, no, I'd rather have Questing Beast. I'd rather have like an elf card. Wait I'd rather have something rotation. else. Wait yeah, for rotation. yeah. There, there's not really a lot of like token makers if I'm going with that kind of theme. I, I just haven't found a shell where I've looked at it and it's like, I am maximizing this card and I definitely want a Seeker's Chariot over uh, whatever the other options are in the four slot in green. Um, I just haven't found agree. it yet. So that's that's my only issue with the card. I, I think it's a powerful standalone. It just doesn't have a good home right now. 100% agree with you. This one is one of the ones where I've made this joke before. I don't know if I've ever made it on the air here before that like, I, I joke about this in, in Magic with sets like this when rotation's coming up. It's like we have a time capsule, right? We have the date of when stuff rotates, and we put all those cards in that time capsule. And when that date hits, we open the time capsule, and we're like, oh, these cards are, like, somewhat playable again. Let's let's try to figure out which one of them is actually good. So this is one of those cards we're going to be putting in that time capsule for later. The card sitting next to it on the spoiler is probably going to be my most often snap <laughs> first-picked card in Limited in the history of the set. Um, I am super excited about this, not just because it looks really cool. It's a fucking owl, and I love owls, but this card is Vega, the Watcher. It's everything I wanted. It's a blue-white flyer, right? It's one white-blue for a flying 2-2, but it has the text, whenever you cast a spell from anywhere other than your hand, draw a card. So this literally says foretell a card, draw a card in the set. There's a, I think there might be some ways to cast a, a, something from your graveyard in the set. I'm not sure. There's I have to the, uh, everything. The, the Rhyme Staff. Yeah, the Rhyme Staff. There's a, there's a few things, right, that are like rares or whatever, but... Um, I can see myself first picking this card and then just jamming every card of Fortel into my deck because I do think there's a lot of cards that are sneaky good and limited with Fortel. Like there's one, it's a common, it's like God's Hall Guardian. It's a six mana. It's like five and a white for a three, six Vigilance, right? Nothing impressive there. That card is like not very good, but a three, six Vigilance is okay and limited, you know, right? But it's Fortel cost is three and a white. So if you just have this card early enough to like Fortel it on two, then you just have a 3-6 Vigilance creature on 4 because you've like kind of paid extra into it to begin with. And if you do that, that's really good. But when you start putting it in into in stuff that you start tacking on draw card to these cards, even if like on turn 6 you're like foretell it, cast it for its, you know, you're you're paying retail, you're paying 6 mana by foretelling it, then paying its foretell cost, you're still drawing a card with it. So this is the card that I don't think it'll be good enough for Constructed unless foretell is just busted and like you just want this card in that deck. Um or anything like that. Like, it's not going to have a construct deck built around it. I can see myself first picking this every time I see it and limited and being really mad when I open it in pack three and I'm not in blue or white. Yeah. No, the t- turn two foretell something, turn three Vega is probably going to be the best opening possible. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I, and I, if you remember last week's show, I said, like, I, I know there's going to be some foretell payoff to like Macy draw cards. I just hope it costs three. So that naturally curves. And then, you know, they sometimes they, they answer your prayers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, did you want to talk about this uh, Quakebringer giant card? This card seems pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. You know, three red red, five four giant berserker. Your opponents can't gain life. At the beginning of your upkeep, it deals two damage to each opponent. The ability triggers only, this ability triggers only if Quakebringer is on the battlefield or if it's in your graveyard and you control a giant. And it has foretell two red red. There's a lot of text here. But I don't actually think it adds up to something particularly good. Like, I would rather play the dragon at the top end of my curve in red decks. You know, maybe this card is good if you're going full-on giants, right? And you've got payoffs there. That's the only time I really am interested in that card. And I do have to say, I played a lot with um one of the giant payoff cards, like Behold the Co- Glimpse the Cosmos, 
uh, one of the earlier previewed cards. That's the the anticipate that you can play from your graveyard for one mana if you have a giant. And like I was just playing it with like Bone Crushers and Beanstalk Giants, and you know you just got two anticipates and that like that made it good. So like maybe there's something to the giant matter stuff, but most of the time you know we went over this with the elves. Like you need payoffs that are really powerful to be playing all the weaker cards, and I don't see a payoff strong enough that makes me want to play this card. And so kind of going down that line, we talked about payoffs of giants and elves. I do think that we kind of missed one when we were talking about the elf thing earlier. And it's a card that I meant to bring up while we were talking about this, you know, when you're churning through your whole deck with the planeswalker and you have a bunch of mana, especially black mana, there is a payoff that could kill your opponent that we didn't talk about. And that's, uh, it's Skimfar Shadow Sage. It's a two, five for three and a black. That's an elf cleric. But when it enters the battlefield, you choose one of two abilities. Uh, the first one is each opponent loses X life or X is the greatest number of creatures you control that share a common type. Or you can gain X for, you know, the same thing. So this is one of those cards that, you know, I was going to say, we don't have, uh, what is it, uh, Shaman of the, what was it, Shaman of the, Packmaster, uh, the, the the green black one from back in the day that deal. Shaman of the Pack. Shaman of the Pack that, that killed your opponent, right? And this does a, a decent impression of Shaman of the Pack if you're playing that, like, Golgari elf deck, play by whole deck, try to do a bunch of stuff thing. And importantly, is just castable off of a big board of elves when you have Kylar in play. Uh, so I think that, you know, for sequencing purposes, that's important. Yeah, that could definitely be a part of it if you're just kind of, you know, elf balling your opponent. Elf balling. It, it also is like an okay card in the aggro matchup. Like, let's say there's a, a good mono red deck or red white's a good deck. Like, playing this as a 2-5 for 4 that just gains you 3-4 to four life is pretty good because it's going to probably shore up a lot of the ground being a 2-5 and then gains you enough life to kind of give you that buffer to get into another turn or two to find more copies of this card, to find more elves and do more things that are going to eventually overwhelm your opponent. And and you don't normally think of, you know, elves as that deck that wants to go long and like out control the other aggro decks. But I think that's what these elf decks are going to want to do. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah, so important aspect for that card. It's not going to come up that often, but when it does, you're going to be really glad it's there. Right. And uh, moving on to another card. Uh, here we go. Another dumb busted mythic uh, in this set. And this one, this one kind of harpens back and makes me think of some of some uh, very good angel rares in the past before there was even mythics that would have been mythics if that was a thing at the time. But um, Eradicator Valkyrie, like just just hearing that name, I'm like, yeah, this card's going to fuck. <laughs> like, you know, when I hear <laughs> that name or whatever. So it's two black black for a four three angel berserker, right? It has flying life and hexproof flame planeswalkers. That right there, those three abilities in some matchups are enough. I know there's a 4-3 flyer, so it dies to a lot of the common removal spells, you know, but having lifelink is pretty big in some matchups. There's some matchups where if you just hit with this with one hit with this once, it's enough to swing the matchup to probably win you. Hexper from Planeswalkers is pretty big. While we're not in the standards anymore where every single planeswalker has the one ability is card advantage, one ability kills a creature, the next ability wins the game. Like this card would be busted in that kind of format where like the planeswalkers can't interact with it. This is a big thing. Now there's more Texas card as well. It has boast. Uh, which is an ability that you can you can only activate once per turn. It's when the creature attacks. So this has boast one in a black. Sacrifice a creature. Each opponent sacrifices a creature or a planeswalker. This is pretty powerful in the fact that especially in constructed where you know you have this card and your opponent doesn't. That means you're gonna have cards in your deck that you're okay sacrificing that have already done already done their job. They've they already have you know some value either dying or you know coming or going as that was. While your opponent is generally paying more mana for you know more efficient creatures or planeswalkers, so you're paying a lot lower on the cost 
then they're paying on the cost for their card and you're getting a lot ahead of this. This also, you know, kind of combos well some of the cards we talked about earlier. Whenever your opponent sacrifices stuff, you might get it. Um, we're going to be moving away from like the, uh, the, you know, the sacrifice decks that we've had for the last about two years in standard stuff. But this is a card that kind of harpens back to that and can make some of those cards still be pretty damn good. Yeah, I think this card reads better than it is. Uh, another card I played on Versus Day, I was reasonably disappointed with it. To me, like it, it the card that it compares to is just Rankle, right? Okay. You know, yeah, four mana flyer. You know, has those sacrifice energies. But the fact that you don't get the sacrifice immediately, you know, Rankle with haste meant you often did. You know, unless your opponent had mana up and a removal spell, um, and then. Uh, when you do get it on the next turn, you have to pay more mana into it uh, are really big problems. I like the lifelink on it. You know, Hexproof from Planeswalkers is nice. I've, I've been impressed with like Kaya, you know, it doesn't get Kaya'd. Um, so there are, there are situations where if those, you know, parts of the text box are relevant, I'll look to this card. But overall, like it, it just doesn't have the immediate impact I need from a four drop that dies to a lot of cheap removal. Like most of the four drops that you see that are, you know, being played mainly for their stats as creatures and their ability to dominate in combat aren't dying to things like Scorching Dragonfire. And this card is. Um, so I'm, I'm low on it right now. Um, you know, I, I think it's generally worse than Rankle and both exist in the format. This is another card that I think I will revisit in the fall after rotation. Yeah. It's a time but, capsule. Yeah, this is another time capsule card because it, you know it, it reads pretty well. It, I just mm -hmm. don't think right now, like the context for it right now is pretty bad. So other card that people are pretty excited about, and this is the one that I think I'm a little bit lower on than most people, but I need to see it play out. And this is the one we mentioned earlier in the show, the new Mutavolt. I kind of like you know kind of you know tease that one a little bit. This one's called Faceless Haven. It's a Snowland. That's important. So it makes snow mana. It taps for colorless. But you can pay three snow mana, which means mana from any land that is a snow land for people who like were around when that was a kind of a thing. And it says this becomes a four three creature with vigilance and all creature types at all end of turns. It's still a land. So this is pretty big. Uh, you, you can't use removal spells on it and say non land. You know, that's a thing that comes up, you know, from time to like this can't be abrupt decayed, you know, things like that. Um, it's a four three of vigilance. So it could attack and play defense in like, say, let's say a snow control deck. Let's say your blue white deck. It's just all, you know, snow stuff. Then you just get this free creature land kind of thing in it. Um, three to activate it seems a little bit high for me, but I can understand why. You're getting a 4-3 Vigilance out of yeah, this. it's pretty big. So the land can still tap for mana later, too, as well. That, that's a big thing for me is, like, when you pay one to activate Mutavolt and you attack with it, you're essentially paying two because Mutavate, Mutavolt now doesn't, you know, tap for mana. So with this, you're paying its cost, period, kind of stuff. So. Yeah, there's no hidden fees. Yeah, no hidden fees. So... I can see this card definitely showing up in some spots. It just matters if like if there's a if there's a multi like a, a monocolored aggro deck that can withstand this, you know, cuz like when I think of mono red, I think of like Torbrand, you know, triple red. You know, you want to make sure that you have like having not being able to cast Torbrand on turn 4 because you drew two faceless haven is a disaster. You know, but if your deck can afford this or if it's two colors and, and can just afford to play a one or two colorless lands and be able to activate this, this is a pretty big card to have in your deck after sweepers. You know, you get to activate this land, attack them, and maybe even, like, cast a two-drop or something. Yeah, we, we saw the uh, mobilized district in, like, right, Monogreen right. Agra last summer. We've seen Crawling Barons, you know, in, in similar shells. I think this compares favorably with those kinds of cards that have already seen play. 
I have a couple problems with it, and I, I'm a little low on it too. And you know how much I like creature lands, so it's hard for me to be low on a creature land. But when I think of a snow creature land specifically, in a multicolor snow deck, where you're you know gonna just want a, a bunch of snow lands, a colorless land is going to be a pretty big liability. These are a multicolor deck. In the monocolored aggro decks, where I think it would normally slot in pretty easily, you know, mono red, mono green, things like that, you're playing castles and you're playing modal double face cards, you know, Shatter Skull Smashings. Mono green doesn't really play Turn Timber Symbiosis, but they definitely want four Castle Garenbrig, especially now because of Vorinclex. And this card, you know, mucks up those. You know, it either makes your castle come into play, you know, tapped sometimes, or you've drawn too many modal double face cards and castles and you just don't have enough snow mana to activate. You know, and, and then there's things like Old Growth Troll. Maybe, you know, the, that's a triple green card that's pretty powerful. You know, Colorless Land messes with that. So maybe you want fewer Colorless Lands in general. You mentioned Torbrin. So to me, like, I think I would just rather play Crawling Barons and not have to rely on having snow mana and, you know, be okay, you know, drawing too many of the, of the non-basic lands in my deck. Um, but I do think, like, if, if you can reliably activate it, I'd prefer think I'd prefer this to Crawling Barons, uh, especially in an aggro deck, you know, just cheaper to activate. So uh, to me, it's more about the worry of being able to consistently activate it in decks that are playing modal double face cards and castles. Um, and if I, you know, I'll try it out and if it works, then great, but I'm not confident it's going to work. Exactly. I can think of it as like, you know, if that big red deck that was like good for a minute and standard comes back, I can see it being in that instead of you know, the creature land they were that they were talking about, but we'll see. You know, less mana investment overall to get some attacks out of it, we'll see. Um, as for next, there was an interesting card for me. I, I don't know how interesting you are in this one, but this one kind of stood out to me a little bit. If it fit, And this is one of those cards that, if it fits well, it's going to be a, a role player in some decks, and that's uh, Turgid's Shadow. It's three black-black for an instant. That's the big thing. This is an instant. It says, each player sacrifices two creatures, and you can foretell it for two black-black. So... Obviously, you're, you're harking back to Barter and Blood, right? Which was a efficient removal spell in the past of two and two black. Each player sacrifices two creatures, but it was a sorcery card. This is another card that answers that Simic Mythic that we were talking about uh, quite well. It's, a, it's an instant that gets around, you know, this is indestructible or this can't be targeted, you know, things like that. And I think just being an instant, this is a card that I could see myself playing like one ofs in certain control decks if that fits well in certain spots. So this is a card that could be a role player somewhere. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It'll just depend on what the metagame looks like. This is the kind of card that you're going to see show up on a random weekend after not seeing it for two or three weeks, and it's going to blow people out, you know, and carry that, you know, someone to a good finish. And then everyone's going to have it. People are going to learn how to react to it. You know, it, it, it's th that's where I see it. Like, it's going to be good for two weeks and then not good for three weeks and then good for two weeks again. And so you got to really pick your spots with it. Uh you know, and that's yeah, exactly. that's kind of the price of playing reactive decks. Like you always need to be tinkering with your removal suite and stay ahead of the metagame. And this is definitely the kind of card that, you know, people can ignore to their own peril. It's really funny to me because like all these cards that have foretell and then we're going to find out which ones are playable and constructed. And it's going to feel kind of like morphed it at some point where it's like, well, it has to be one of like these three. Right. And you're going to be like, well. If it's this one and I attack with, you know, you're going to see people like not attack with two creatures into this. I mean, well, it's, it's not attacking kind of like wing shards was, but you know what I mean? They're going to be like, oh, should I not play my second creature here? Like this could be a, a Turgid Shadow. And I actually think that's really cool on the fact of both ends because it gives extra play to the game because you have some information that's not perfect. 
you know there's like this face down card kind of like with morph and you're like well you know what is that one is it is it a faceless butcher or is it a is it an exalted angel you know like you know which which one you know i remember um there was a situation in in that limited format where if someone attacked with like four mana up or five mana up and it was red and black mana like it's like well if you blocked it, it was this one you lose but if you didn't block it it was the other one then you lose right you know because one of them was like you know cutthroat like if it hit you it killed a creature but the other one it's like you block it it's just a first striking creature so you Sk- just lose Skirt commando right? was the one that shocked when it hit them yeah so you had to like figure it out and you're like well i guess i should just always block i don't know and so this is going to create those situations where like i'm just thinking of a blue black control deck where like i'm playing the counter spell you know i'm playing the card draw thing and i have like one of these and then there's that turn where like they have a creature in play right and i have and i have like face down cards and i'm going to feel awful when like i'm like man should i play the second creature or not but like if they have the counter spell i need to get through it i'm gonna play my second creature and they're like yeah resolves instantly and i'm like son of a bitch you know because like <laughs> then you know it's then you know you're about to get yeah. barter and blood if, if you thought rogues was difficult to play against wait wait till you play against flash cards with foretell <laughs> yeah so it's just gonna be really really annoying um and stuff so um i was gonna say so you can only foretell Wait, you can only put it face down during your turn unless during, you get the blue creature out. So, yeah, so during your you turn. You can't foretell this at instant speed because it's an instant, but you can still cast it for its foretell cost. Yeah. As and, an instant. And importantly, the, you can't cast it for its foretell cost the turn that you foretell it. You only foretell for a later turn. So, the ones where like the color requirement is lower, you don't just get to do them both in one turn. Uh, oh, that's know, big. I actually by. didn't know that. I didn't Yeah. Really be. It's an awkward part of foretell. That, that actually comes up. Uh, in my evaluation of one of the last cards I think we, we're going to get to, and that is one of the more recent cards, uh, Starnheim Unleashed. This is one of the, one of the big white mythic, for the probably white mythic foretell card. So it's two white, white sorcery, create a 4-4 white angel warrior creature token with flying and vigilance. But if the spell was foretold, you create X of them instead, foretell cost XX white. So there's a, there's a lot of cool things going on here. You can you know cast it as a 4-mana 4-4 Flying Vigilance, reasonable. You can foretell turn two, cast it turn three for its foretell cost, X equals one, and just get the four, four on turn three, but it costs both of your first two turns, uh, or your turns two and three. Uh, you know, but you have the option for either or. My, you know, preferred way of doing it is foretell it on turn two, do some stuff on three and four, and then turn five, get two angels. I think that's where it's at its best, and that's what really jumps out to me, and I think this card is pretty good. But I also didn't internalize that that quirk of foretell. So in my head, this was like an awesome draw late in the game because you're like, you have 11 mana. Okay, foretell, I have nine mana, four angels, but you can't do that immediately. So if you want it to be awesome, you got to wait a turn for it, which is a little pretty awkward. Or it's just, you know, a top deck as a 4-4, which is fine, but not exciting. Yeah, otherwise it just becomes miracle at that point, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Well, in this case, the way the way they did foretell, you know, for j- it's the, not the X cost, yeah. So... I do st- still like this card. I like it most in an aggressive shell where it can fill different points in your curve. So you're going to cover up pretty well with it. You know, make your deck consistent, but is a really good curve topper for white aggro decks. Like, you know, you do your thing, turn five, I'm making two angels. Um, you know, maybe you're going like turn three, Skyclave Apparition, turn four, you know, double spell or something, and then two angels. So you're, you're not like hyper aggressive. This is not like, you know, the card for a deck with a bunch of one drops. Uh, but this is the kind of card for like that, that mid-range aggressive white deck I th- think can fit really well. Not sure if that kind of deck is going to be good, but this is a really powerful card. So I, got, I agree with you. The card's cool. It's really powerful. I like what it's doing. It does have one huge drawback to it that I think it's going to probably keep it from being very good and construct in the fact that it's white. <laughs> yeah. So, 
Yeah, white white cards have a tough go of it. Yeah, they've had a tough go of it recently. We'll have to see if it's going to be any good or not. Um, a couple more cards I want to talk about here. Another god was in this one. I think this one's pr- pretty cool as well. There's some, some sweet stuff. This one is Egon, God of Death. It's two and a black for a 6-6. Six, six. Yeah, let's add that. Uh, this one's a weird one, though. So 6-6 six, six with Death Touch. It says, at the beginning of your upkeep, exile two cards from your graveyard. If you can't, sacrifice Egon. I think it's Egon. And, uh, and, and draw a card, right? So... Um, I'm going to talk about the, just the front half for a second here because it is, you know, a modal card. This is interesting, right? It's a 6-6 six, six death-touching creature for three. At worst, you're putting it into play. Your opponent's not going to want to trade anything into this or attack anything this because it's going to eat whatever they attack with, right? And then during your upkeep, if you can't pay the cost, you're like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll exile it and draw a card. So it's like it kind of gained you some life, bought some time, drew a card. That's fine. Um, if you get to keep this around for a while... You know, like later in the game or whatever. This is a, a six six for three that can do some 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 crazy stuff on the board. You know, it's a very big creature. The other end of it's pretty cool too. It's just a one mana legendary artifact. This is at the beginning of your upkeep mill a card, right? And it says two and a black exile a creature card you uh, from your graveyard draw a card. So this is a pretty cool card in like a lot of these black decks that we've seen be good in standard and we might see in the future where this is a good mill enabler. You know, if you want to fill up your graveyard for some of these other things that we've been seeing in the set, even for, you know, it's other half, it's going to mill some cards in its own graveyard. And then when you have some extra excess mana sitting around, it, it can become a card advantage engine at some point too, by just paying three mana, exile a creature card from my graveyard, draw a card. When I first this, read this card, I thought you sacrificed it on the back half to draw, to draw the card. So it just got you one card after milling a bunch. And so I kind of dismissed it immediately. But the fact that it, you know, is a repeatable effect uh, mm-hmm. while also being an enabler for, you know, escape and all, you know, whatever graveyard shenanigans is definitely uh, opened my eyes to the potential here. Yeah, like this with Croxa just seems like something that you want to be doing, right? You know, like it's just another, like that's something that deck was kind of missing too was like a, a, a one mana enabler for Croxa that isn't just dead late game. And now it's a one mana enabler for Croxa that's also another giant 6-6 six, six for a very small amount of mana that your opponent has a hard time dealing with. So... I think this card is like possibly like undershadowed a little bit in the set. You know, like people aren't talking about it a lot. I think this card can do some really cool things. I also uh, I liked your point about Egon being a good defensive creature. Normally, you think like three mana six six. I'm beating I'm beating down. Uh, but a lot of the time, you're just going to play it early, and your you know your opponent's green creatures aren't going to attack, and that's yeah. that's really nice. The Rakdos decks can be really clunky, so you know buying yourself some time against the aggro decks, I think it is pretty valuable. You're not sacrificing any card advantage. You're just slowing the game down, mucking things up. Uh, yeah, I'm, this is a card that I had initially overlooked, but I, I'm I want to revisit. I, have, I so I haven't really like put a ton of thought into it, but I think there's some potential here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another cool card to get previewed. I feel like we get one of these almost every set, or at least once a year. We got another cool like prison artifact hate card in this it's set. Just this Cage. It's it stops non land permanents. The exact same functionality as Grafdigger's Cage, but for two mana. Quick's Weather, Runestone, two mana artifact. Non-land permanent cards in graveyards and libraries can't enter the battlefield, and the players can't cast spells from graveyards or libraries. It's really funny. We just got previewed today. So people were like, oh, why does, why does this just stop cards from everywhere? I'm like, you can't have this card in the set with Fortell, saying that like they can't, also can't cast Fortell cards. Like, come on. That would just be like way too much. I, I kind of thought we were going to see, you know, a hate piece that stopped things from Foretell. You know, it, it w- maybe it wouldn't stop other things. You know, maybe it wouldn't stop libraries or whatever. Uh, We've already you know. got it, by the yeah, way. It was printed in like one of the last sets. But the, This like it, you know, I'm not sure how many like ways to get like lands from your graveyard and other non-land permanents are seeing a lot of play, but you know, you, you might see this around. You also might see it in like uh, Chalice the Void decks in like Legacy that want to play Graftigger's Cage, but 
don't want it because it costs one because, and they're playing Chalice. So like Ancient Tomb decks, I could definitely see it. You know, it, it'll be around. I, I'm very glad that it's uncommon and not rare. I'm really like, you know, don't don't make those stupid hate cards rare. Yeah, no one wants to like, the average player doesn't want to open a pack of magic cards. Look at what rare they get. Cause like, let's be real. That's the, that's the first card you look at. You know what I mean? And they're like, oh, I got a, I got a weathered runestone. Yeah. And you know, like, you know we, certainly no drafter ever wants to do that and see their rare as weathered runestone. So the, I think this is perfect to put cards like this on common. You know, they did it with tapings for two. I think they figured it out. So that, that's actually my favorite part of this card is that it's uncommon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, they, they seem to kind of do that. You know, like, Raptor's Cage was a rare in its day, but, like, now you're seeing, like, you know, all the different two-mana artifacts, which I think it's a good design that you just have this two-mana spell that's ubiquitous. You know, every deck can cast it. That's just good enough to, to where nothing gets... No shenanigans get out of place in a format because any deck can cast this. You know, it's it's not like Rest in Peace where you're like, well, I remember there were days in Modern where we were talking about where, like, white was the worst color main deck but white was the best sideboard because you had like rest in peace and like all the other stony silence yeah yeah uh, core firewalker yeah yeah uh, the one for artifacts too you know like just all those things and like you know because you know you had decks where you're like do they have white mana well they don't have rest in peace then my deck's broken you know but now you have like these like two mana artifacts that are just good and you know hold the fort down and stuff like that so i think these are important in the formats to help keep them from breaking too much yep uh i'm in there there's one more card i want to look at just the last god so we cover all, all those bases, though I'm pretty low on this one as well. Torolf, God of Fury. So those are our Thor, finally. Yeah, we finally uh, got Thor. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, yeah. Two red, red, five, four, trample. Whenever a creature or planeswalker an opponent controls is dealt excess and non-combat damage, Torolf deals damage equal to the excess to any target other than that permanent. Uh, so you can go upstairs, you can go to their creatures, you know. Uh, and then Torolf's hammer the other side. Colorless and a red equipment. Equips for colorless and a red. Equipped creature has colorless and a red tap unattached Thorolf's hammer. It deals three damage to any target. Return Thorolf's hammer to its owner's hand. So another god like um, uh, Alrund that can, you know, be played early as the back half, but come back when you, you know, later when you want to play the god. And then equipped creature gets plus three plus oh as long as it's legendary. To me, like, if I wanted the hammer to be good, I want that plus three plus oh all the time because there aren't a ton of legendary creatures. There's like Annex. You know, obviously you're playing Thorolf too, but. I just don't see either half of this being super powerful relative to the options we already have. So low on this one in case you were wondering, but definitely didn't want to leave any uh, any god unchecked. Were there any others you wanted to cover? I don't think so. I mean, like there's there's a couple other you know random cards in the set that look kind of sweet, but I'll say I don't know. What about you? I, I think we're I think we're good here. Do we have any questions in the mailbag? Do you have? I know you're a little pressed for time tonight. Do you have time to do a few overrated? Yeah, underrated? yeah, yeah. We'll be fine. Okay, cool, cool. Let's get a few of those in the way. Let me. Sorry, I should have been more ready for this, but we're a little backlog on this. So I got to scroll up. All right. The first one comes from Gold. This is a pretty easy one. Pie. Uh, in both cases, underrated. Both the food yeah, and the number. I, I knew you were going to bring up the numeral. Obviously, underrated. Pie is amazing. Here's a good one for me. I'm going to hear what you want to say. This permeating mass. Ask Tom Cruise's Edge of Tomorrow. Can, can, can I make one more point on pie? And that sure. savory pie is also delicious. Pie is just fucking great. Yeah, like, I, I even like pie for breakfast. Quiches are amazing. Oh yeah, it's one of my favorite things. Yeah, we we've been making quiche a lot. It's also right. one of the things that has the highest, uh, you know, or among the highest deliciousness to effort quotients. Like yeah, very also, easy to make when you just buy pre-made pie crust. Why am I not surprised that you like it that much? Because it also has one of the highest egg contents of any yes. dish imaginable. I love pie. I love eggs. Let's make egg pie. It, it's done. It, it just flows. It just flows, Tannen. It's just called like if you if if, if you were older it, was, it would be called quiche. You'd be like Ross's pie. 
Yeah. Because he also likes breakfast food, too. So Yeah, it's just, it's perfect. It's a, the all confluence right. of all the things I love. Permeating Mask, uh, ask Tom Cruise's Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, never seen it. Okay, that, I, I let you go first because I figured you hadn't seen it. I've seen the movie, obviously. But, uh, so here's the thing for me. Before I answer, I want to let everybody know, um, a movie that's comparable to this one. This is like the sci-fi version. Obviously, this is a base comparison of Groundhog Day. So in this movie, it's it's Tom Cruise and Emily uh, Emily Blunt. It's actually a very good movie. Um, where Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies. So I think Groundhog Day is fucking hilarious. I can never watch it again because uh, when they do the same thing over and over again, it usually uh, irritates me for some reason. Like it gets on my nerves in some way that makes me uncomfortable. I can't I can't explain it. It's just something like that. Have you watched uh, Palm Springs? I have not. I, th- I want to though. Yeah, the the Hula movie with Chris Milioti and Andy Samberg mm-hmm. is very good. Yeah, I've heard it's very good. It also has so, J.K. Um, Simmons in it. Just in case yeah. you didn't realize that. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. J.K. Simmons is great in every movie. He's amazing. He's probably one of the most underrated. Yeah, he's over one of the finest character movie. actors of our generation. Yeah. So this movie is just it's a it's a sci-fi movie. Uh, it's like set in the future or whatever, and Tom Cruise has to relive the same day over and over and over again and try to like get it right. He's like you know save Solve the puzzle day somehow. I'm not gonna give away too much stuff. He has to save. He has to figure out how to make the day end right. And it's him, and then he runs into Emily Blunt, who's also doing the same thing. So they they start working together. I think this move this move this movie is unbelievably underrated. It had a little bit of some problems when it uh, came out into theaters. I think they had to like change the name of the movie because people like I think the original name like didn't sit well. It didn't do amazingly well in theaters. Therefore, it wasn't like you know picked up by a lot of streaming services. If you have not seen this movie, do yourself a favor in the next few days. Uh, you could probably get it online for like a couple bucks or whatever, or it might even be streaming on some service. I probably should have checked to see if it's streaming at some service server. But I think this is one of those like sneaky sci-fi classics that came out in the last like 10 to 15 years that people may not have seen that is just very, very good. All right. Uh, Joe, Mr. English asked, and this is from uh, December 4th. So this, you know, gives a little more credence to the Xmas music. Uh, I like Christmas music. I grew, I grew up on a Christmas tree farm. We're a big Christmas family. I just, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm down with Christmas things. I would have said overrated most of my life. I got to say underrated now. I think over the last few years, I started to like the holidays a lot more. I used to be a pure Grinch. Yeah. And I wasn't like overtly bad about it, but I was definitely bah humbug because I just, I, the idea of holidays, and I won't get too far into it, I just don't like holidays overall where I'm like, oh, I have to be nice to people or nicer to people. And like, I have to do this and I have to do that because it's a certain day of the year. I do that all day, every day anyway. Yeah. So like, you know I, I mean? It just, it, I think it has the reverse effect that it's looking for in a lot of aspects. I, I will say that I very much sympathize with the plight of retail workers who despise holiday music point. because they have to listen to it all the time. So, you know, very good point. I would I would never subject a retail worker to it. Yeah. All right. Our lovely editor, Brent Wagner, says the deck name Oops All Spells. I'm going to go with Overrated. I hate that name. And people are just call it Oops now. I wish we had a better name for it. I, I honestly just call it like I, I would prefer to call it graveyard belcher but, yeah. but like graveyard belcher yeah belch of the yard or something I, I just oops all spells it doesn't roll off the tongue well because there's that hard stop after oops and i i don't like it all right uh the next one is from chase rankin ba- uh, base christmas specials I, l- I love most christmas specials uh charlie brown is obviously the the cream of the crop but Frosty the Snowman is really good. The first, the second, Frosty the Snowman Returns is not so good. But the original Frosty the Snowman, uh, I still like the the Rudolph one, even though it's kind of creepy with Yukon Cornelius and uh, and Timmy the Dentist. And um, is it Timmy? 
Yeah, the little elf's name. Uh, I don't. It's I don't been think, a while, so I don't remember. Yeah, it has, it's been a while for me too. I you know I used to watch all of them when I had a TV. <laughs> now you can, you can get them on streaming services, I think now, but I haven't gone out of my way to do it. But the, the Charlie Brown one is so unbelievably good, like re- really, really good. Especially the scene where um, uh, Beethoven is sitting at his piano. And, you know, they're planning things and, and Lucy is over to him and she's leaning on the piano and she's like, play, you know, the uh, play Jingle Bells. And he starts playing this beautiful rendition of Jingle Bells. She's like, no, no, no. Like, you're getting it all wrong. And he's he, like he get, uh, over the course of their like, you know, uh, repartee, I guess, for lack of a better word. You know, Beethoven realizes that she just like, you know, doesn't, you know, isn't musically inclined. And he keeps dumbing it down for every time he plays it. And she's like, no, no, don't you know Jingle Bells? You know, blah, blah, blah. She's describing it. Eventually, he starts getting really upset. And he just jams his finger on, the on like, the very basic melody of the keys. Of jingle Bells, Jingle Bells. And she just screams, that's it! He, like, bowls over. It's so well animated, so well done. That scene gets me every time. Beethoven and Lucy. I'm going to go with meh overall, like, kind of down the middle for me. But I, I got to agree with you a little bit, too. I think it's probably slightly underrated, you know. like The, stuff, the stuff Charlie fun. Brown one is just so good. You you can ignore the other ones. That's fine. Charlie Brown Christmas is uh, just mm-hmm. phenomenal. All right. Next one is from Cathal. Soup. I'm going to go with underrated, especially especially during, like, this time of year. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely underrated. Something I didn't really like eating as a kid. I just always found it awkward. It's awkward now, too, with a beard. You gotta take small, yeah. smaller spoonfuls. Yeah. I've I've learned that over the years, but it's very comforting. I love I love a good soup. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, someone asked a question. Joe at Mister English asks, "Is chili a soup?" I'm gonna go with yes. Yeah, yeah. Chili, chili, 100 counts as a soup. Though I like, uh, in particular, uh, butternut squash soup. Um, you know, like a good like potato leek, uh, but really minestrone. Oh, there's a. The the good Italian restaurant downtown here in Roanoke occasionally has the minestrone on, on their menu. It's so good. They like top it with some pesto, you know, good white beans, uh, you know, the uh, different vegetables. The the broth is delicious. It's so good. Oh, love. That. All right. Uh, next one is Massimo says a croissant. I'm going to go with underrated. Oh, look, all forms of carbs bread all the delicious stuff underrated the, the croissant though is the especially. pinnacle it is yeah, the pinnacle underrated. of bread products you you know they're very difficult to make when you make them well they are incredible you don't need anything with them just a good butter croissant i uh, you know it's one of the things i remember most about pro tour paris it's been we're coming up on 10 years from that pro tour still remember it easily there again there's a bakery here in Roanoke that makes phenomenal croissants like also i'm going to say croissant croissants are really underrated as uh the bookends of a sandwich like yeah. making something along with it yeah yeah like a breakfast sandwich on a croissant is great or a turkey sandwich or something like that i've yeah. had that before it's yeah really yeah good. for lunch it's 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 all it's all great croissants are are really really good and it, i you know I, a lot of people, I think, you know, immediately gravitate towards some of the, you know, fancier things like the, the chocolate croissants and the almond croissants and everything. But really, like, you don't need anything. Just get the 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 butter croissant. It's oh, they're so good. Okay, yeah, they impossible to be overrated because they are absolutely perfection. Yeah. 
Luna Culturist says Brent Wagner. That's our editor. Obviously, the most underrated, the one we've ever done of overrated, underrated. Yeah, they're all, again cannot possibly be overrated. <laughs> Can only be more underrated if possible. Brent is the croissant of editors. <laughs> yeah, they. Yeah, there we go. Great. I love it. Uh, it all came together. He has many layers, and he's very buttery. Yeah, and you can just peel all those layers back, and there's just more to go. And then you're really sad when you run out of layers. So, uh, <laughs> especially when you're consuming it. Oh, God, I'm soft talking now. We've lost uh, the metaphor. Also ask, yeah, also ask MTG Arena. I'm actually going to say underrated. I know it gets a lot of flack. I know it gets a lot of shit. But I'm going to say underrated for the main reason for me it's underrated is, remember when they talked about making it and how it's just thinking about wizards making another digital client is like jesus christ this is going to be so bad it's going to be a disaster and overall it's been nothing but a resounding hit it's been a it's been a roller coaster look you can say what you want about the economy you can say what you want about like availability of stuff whatever blah 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 overall they made a pretty damn good product better than i thought they were and i still remember the first couple times i played it i was utterly blown away by it and i still play it almost every day so i'm gonna go with underrated just because i think it gets too much flack yeah, well, it gets too much flack now. I think it was it was too praised early, and now it gets too much flack, and it's always kind of sat somewhere in the middle. Uh, so currently underrated, historically maybe you know even to overrated. Uh, you know, it started with those like low expectations, and everyone was super impressed and, and surprised by it. And it, since then, it's just sort of trended down. But it'll it'll turn back eventually. Maybe not. I do really strongly dislike the economy. I'm also just not a not an arena person. I don't really like the the extra interface and like it just looking sleeker just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. I like the ease of which to play and stuff, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Um, that is nice. The auto tapper yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah. Even, Until even it screws it you and that's the worst fucking like, thing yeah. in the world. I yeah. want it to die. Yeah, I, I get mad at it every now and then. All right. Captain Frost says Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm going to go with underrated. Every time I've been there, it's been pretty great. Yeah, I only went there once about a year ago, uh, and it was great. It was also very easy to take the bus there from Roanoke. It just went straight there. The city That's was nice. Cool. I had good food. Yeah, every everything good about Knoxville. I hope we go back. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Kofersi says 75th card in the list. Uh, very overrated. We all spend so much time like pouring over those last card, like that last card or two, uh, and it, you know, you'd probably be better off just picking it at random and thinking about something else. <laughs> I'm gonna agree with you in every instance, except for um, for that small amount of time we were all playing the team events, and that was pretty much the only thing I changed week for week for my legacy <laughs> yeah. decks would be like two to three cards, that's so 73 to 75, and I'd just be like, I think this week I'm gonna play this. And every now, I remember there's one week where I literally changed like one card, and I made it a uh, what's the the black enchantment that I would play. Um, White creatures get minus one, minus one. Oh, Dread of Night. Yeah, I just played a Dread of Night, and I played against Death and Texas like three times a day one and drew it every single one of the matches. Like, I, am so I am so yeah, smart. Yeah, I am so smart. Because I just knew. I was like, I don't know why I just have the feeling that Death and Taxes is going to be like really... Like someone wrote an article about it too. They were like, yeah, it's like the best time to be playing Death and Taxes. And I was like, yo, you need to put in some time with this deck. It's not as easy to play as people think it is. I beat all the bad pilots that lose to all the good ones. So I just made sure that I had a haymaker for that matchup. And I, it was uh, great. I, I spent a year doing that back in the one-day era of Opens in 2012 when I was just playing nothing but Maverick and Blue-White Delver. I would show up with the you know 146 of the same 150 mm-hmm. every weekend. It's just I I think I had four top eights that year, but also only four missed caches. I was just cranking out those fifty and hundred dollar bills for top thirty two and top sixty four all year. Oh, you remember when you used to get the crisp fifty dollar oh, bill yep. from them? You have to go wait in line. Oh man, I remember all that. those X twos and X threes just over and over and over again. All right, we're running a little over over time. I want to make sure you get to go watch that jazz game. Ross, if people wanted to hear... Oh, oh I forgot one more thing. We have one more thing we need to talk about before we leave. Uh, make sure that you do check out our sponsor, Barrister and Man. 
Uh, make sure you check them out over that website, just barristerandman.com. Uh, that's man with two N's. Uh, should be super easy to find on Google. Lots of great products over there. It's funny that I'm saying this now because Ross can see me on video right now. I'm actually about to go use Barrister and Man products. He can look at me right now. I'm pretty unkept right now. Yeah, like you, that, you've going. got you. That's probably a solid week of growth, maybe a little less. Yeah, something like that. Like you know, like four or five days, solid days. You know, whatever, blah blah blah. But I gotta get, I gotta get this taken care of, and. I think I've said it before on the show. I actually look forward to it. It's like part of my routine. I like it. I love the products because I I feel that not only does it make the actions of like shaving more enjoyable and easier, but afterwards is better too. Like I, you know, I I don't think I've mentioned these on the last couple of shows. We talked more about the soaps, but the products that I've liked the most from them is I have a shave brush and shave butter for like when I shave my face because I'm not the biggest fan of putting a blade to my skin. I, I don't like shaving that much when I do it. And with this, it just makes it easy. It makes it better. I don't get razor burn anymore. It exfoliates my skin a little more. I think I've told you about this. I've made a more conscious effort in the last year to like take care of the skin on my face a little bit more. You know, I've been like exfoliating more. I'm going to start doing masks and stuff just because it it's become a problem. Tanny, you, sh- you should have been doing masks for months now. I'm old. Hmm, Ross. No, that was a good one. But, you know, those things. Plus, I got to say this. The aftershave balm. I am in love with it. So I was never an aftershave guy because A, that stuff just smells bad. And B, like it always stings to, to, to oh my God, you know, afterwards you're like, this this hurts. I think it's only stung like one time the entire time I use it. I'm pretty sure I had just like gone too deep in that section of my, of, you know what I mean? I had like pricked a little bit more skin. Honestly, I don't feel anything other than like the soothing coolness of it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's I what I it. get too. And I use it when I uh, clear up my, my neck. Yeah, and there's 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 different I want to say flavors. There's different scents um, attached to it too, so you can make sure that you can get a good scent that you like, your girl likes, your man likes, whomever you're trying to impress. Seville, that's the scent. Yeah, I will say that one's a that one's a good one too. So, well, whatever floats your boat, make sure you check it out. Lots of cool stuff for uh, the guy in your life, the girl in your life, anything that you want to, anybody that you want to buy stuff for. Great gift ideas and stuff there. So make sure you check them out and be sure to use the code MTG Rants to get fifteen percent off of your purchase. Make sure you do that. Check out check out their uh, their website. Let them know that we sent you, barristerandman.com. Uh, as for that, Ross, if people wanted to hear more of your rants, your ideas, see you more, since you're not streaming right now, but they can still find you on Twitch, where are these places that they can find you? Yes, best place uh, is my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunnids. That's your one-stop shop. Updates, you know, you'll get updates about all my content. Uh, and you can ask me questions there. I try to get back to people as much as possible. Then there's my written content. This week's article is all about Vornclex, a card that has been very impressive for me playing on Versus. So if you want to get some ideas playing with that card, I think it's one of the best cards in the set and is going to be really good in the standard environment. You can check that out right now on StarCityGames.com. My articles go live on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Then Versus Live, the web show I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. We're on the Star City Games Twitch channel from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern, uh, you know, playing whatever is relevant right now. That is call time standard decks. So you can catch us live, ask us questions about new cards, questions about how we're building our decks. We'll just play them, you know, talk about our lines, all that happy stuff. If you can't catch us live, that's unfortunate, but you can watch the VODs on the Star City Games YouTube channel. They go up the following day at 5 p.m. Eastern. So Wednesday and Friday for the Tuesday and Thursday shows respectively. And then finally, there is my stream. Like Tannen said, my computer is still, uh, you know, I'm still working on it. Don't worry, I will be back streaming. Um, my my current plan, as long as my computer cooperates, is to return to streaming in February. Um, so that's my plan right now. Hopefully my my computer cooperates with that plan. Uh, but I will keep it all updated about that. 
But for when that happens, my Twitch stream is under Ross underscore Miriam, so just my name. And I appreciate any and all support through any of those media. Tannen, where can people find your freshly shaven face after you go clean yourself up? Uh, you can find me most often on Twitter. I need to. I need to start having like. Uh, you know, people do intermittent fasting, and you start doing that for Twitter. I really, really do. <laughs> I can go um, on for one hour a day, and then I have to spend 24 hours off. Yeah, exactly. So uh, my Twitter is at the Tannen Grace. Putting the in front of your name still counts for something. I don't know if anybody saw that. That's <laughs> yeah, I, there, oh, but, I, anyways, I thought yeah. that was great. Yeah, <laughs> for the people who got it, it was really funny. So uh, it's the Tannen Grace on Twitch. I, I do stream quite a bit, and when the new site comes out, I'll be streaming quite a lot. I'll probably stream, you know, multiple weeks in a row. Um, I'm just tan and grace on there. No, no, the, no, the, just, just tan and grace. As for the cast itself, you can find us at MTG rants on Twitter. Um, you can find us on, uh, uh, I could not think of the word Patreon. We have a Patreon as well. It's, you know, MTG rants on there. We appreciate all support that we get from anyone there and everyone that has been supporting us for quite a while. We really deeply appreciate you. And we have something really cool in the works. I know we've been kind of hinting at it, but uh, Brent's pretty much got it done. We just got to figure out how we're going to unveil it and unroll it. And we got some cool stuff coming y'all's way soon. Plus we'll have some new tokens, uh, done whenever we figure all that stuff out. So it's getting a little easier in shipping and stuff like that right now. So we'll get some of that, uh, uh, done and make sure that you join our discord as well. If you go to our, our Twitter, we have all the links on it there. If not just uh personal message Shaheen Sarani and ask him for a link to our, to our, uh, discord. He loves it when you do that. That's where you uh, so get to sure submit all those overrated undereateds. If you are a Patreon subscriber, you do get access to the mailbag. Can ask us direct questions that we'll answer on the cast as well. So, and you know, not to mention we do a uh, patron-only show every now and then as yep. well. And we got the cool channels for food and pets, all the fun non-magic stuff. It's a great place. There's you know six, seven hundred people in the Discord right now, so it's a great little community. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the food section, my personal favorite. Y'all are killing it in there. Make sure you keep doing it. I'm looking at you, Chef Petro, and all you other beautiful, beautiful people in there putting out food. Uh, you, you, you make me suffer daily, and I could not be happier about it. <laughs> anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, make sure you check us out next week. We'll probably be back to more of a traditional episode until Ross gets his computer working, and we'll try to do the top eight then for you know our top eight cards of the set. If we can't get it done his computer fix, but then we might just do it uh, without video. We might just do it completely as the show uh, goes out, and we'll try to get that done, especially if the full set is out next week. We may try to get it done next week, so we'll see. Full set should be out next Tuesday. That's the last day. Yeah, so maybe we'll the, do the uh, episode next Tuesday night or Wednesday and try to get it all out for the the, the full set and our top eights, uh, what cards we expect to see played the most or just be the coolest and what we like the most. So uh, maybe you can you can even join us, have your own top eight, and see how, how close you get to ours. That would be pretty cool. So uh, everybody at home can kind of you know participate as well. But thanks for listening this week, and we'll see you all next week. 